0: Hey everyone, and uh, welcome back to the Angry Sun Zone. We're uh, here today to uh, talk about the games we love to hate. That's right. This is uh, the Angry episode. Yeah, true to our name. It's, it's time to get mad. And uh, so these are games that for one reason or another, well for specific reasons rather, uh, we don't like them. We'll tell you why we don't like them. And uh, you'll get to get a better idea of each of our tastes and as well just uh, see the games that uh, failed to make an impression uh, on impressionable young gamers like ourselves. Anyway, I'm Sean. I'm Santo, and I'm Alex. And let's
1: get right into it. But first, we have some late-breaking, not-so-breaking news. So, uh, for the listeners, uh, we also have a YouTube channel. Uh, you know, just search up Angry Sun Zone on YouTube. And the first video that we posted there was a reaction to the uh, E3 Nintendo Direct. And in that video, we saw probably the least expected, like, remaster slash re-release that I-, I thought we were going to see this year which was uh, Advanced Wars 1 plus 2 Reboot Camp coming out on December 3rd. Six days later, on December 9th, the actual most unexpected re-release is coming. Monster Rancher 1 plus 2 huh. is getting re- released on Switch and Steam. And I... What is this year? This is like the Santo re-release year. Those are two of my favorite games that are coming... That are, they're, you know re-releasing for whatever reason. And Monster Hunter doesn't even make sense to re-release. <laughs> like, on the Switch, like, that doesn't have a freaking That doesn't have a place to put discs. No. That's awesome. Like, am I gonna, like, jam an SD card in there with random shit? Random files? i just gonna scan those? That could be kinda cool. Just scan your
2: high school prom reunion pics and see what kind of monster comes out of that mess!
1: Oh, man, it's some weird flower ape but uh, uh, chilling <laughs> truly chilling I mean the reason that I even saw this was I saw that they're adding Suazo from Monster Rancher into the new monkey ball game so it's that weird eye creature rolling around in a hamster ball and it collects CDs instead of bananas
2: okay good you know for a second there I thought you might have been talking about the next smash character
1: oh my god if that happened I might die from excitement <laughs> apparently it's the monster Hunter 25th anniversary who knew i didn't (laughs) getting that out of the way let's you know let's go from you know one one of my favorite games to just like some games that just hate is maybe a strong word for some of these games there are a couple games here that i do hate i'll save those for later uh so let's get into it with a, a disliked game and i think i'm gonna start off with the Caligula Effect overdose. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> so I, I remember I initially said, okay, this game is either brilliant or it's crap. Unfortunately, it's crap. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. I finished it last night, like after putting about forty hours into it, and again, the the good concepts that I spoke about uh, on the we're just a episodes ago yeah.
2: concepts.
1: Yeah, like. You know the the turn the battle system is still good. The music I after finishing it like the music in that game is really really good, uh, and like the story and the characters, uh, for the most part is good. But like it just got so tedious, so 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 tedious, with the uh, like recruiting NPC stuff because for every NPC you want to complete a quest with, you gotta talk to them three times. Then you got to listen to their story again after talking to them three times and accept their quest. You can only hold one quest at a time, and then you have to, for a lot of these quests, add them into your party to do something. And some of those are just like, you have to add them into your party to equip something, and then the quest is finished, and then you just eject them from your party. So much of the game's flow is just... It's like this game was designed by a robot or something. It doesn't feel like this game was designed by a human who ever actually touched it with their hands. Uh, <laughs> the, the All the areas that you're in are gigantic, which doesn't make sense because this was a Vita game originally. And when oh, yeah. you think about it, like if you're designing a game for a portable system, uh, the game should probably be broken up into bite-sized chunks so that people can you know play it on their commute and whatnot. The game has a fair amount of save points, but still, the areas are so bloody huge that, like, traversing them and fighting battles along the way might take you a really long time. Uh, And for some of the character quests, you need to bring them to a specific NPC in these gigantic areas, and the NPCs aren't labeled on the map, so you have to remember where they are, which can be pretty taxing when you also have... 500 or so quests to complete for all the different NPCs. Uh, the equipment is pretty meaningless, like there's not a great sense of progression there. Uh, the battles later on in the game don't feel so different from when you started the game and unfortunately the ending fell pretty flat. It's the budgetness of the game really shone through there where I was expecting like a lot more of a spectacle in the ending, but... There was like two anime cutscenes in the game up to that point, and if you do the true ending, like you get like a half like animated ending that's like still frames. And if you do the bad ending, you get a fully animated cutscene. So I don't know what's up uh, with that, man.
2: That's a pretty what? weird. They have invested choice. their budget wrong.
1: Yeah. So like, <sighs> this game is frustrating because again, like a lot of it's. I need to see what the sequel is. Oh, no. I'm a, I'm a broken person. Oh, no. I'm a broken person. I put 40 hours into this game. It came out thinking, like, this was, like, a bit of a waste of time. I was still like, i got to check that sequel then. Because if they learned their lesson about just the gameplay of it, then it could be a really great RPG because that's the problem with it was the gameplay. Everything else surrounding the gameplay was pretty good. So, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see... Maybe you'll hear me talk about that in a later episode, I don't know, if I'll get around to that, or tackle a gigantic backlog. The backlog,
0: <laughs> backlog,
1: backlog. So yeah, just, you know, super recent game that I didn't end up liking.
2: Awesome. That's uh, that's unfortunate, but hey, not every RPG can be a winner. Most of them aren't. <laughs> this is what we get for choosing it based on the title alone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so... We've got our, uh, list of games. The worst of the worst.
2: I, I don't know if I'd say that we want to... These aren't necessarily the worst of the worst, okay? Yeah. Uh, something I'm actually gonna gonna say that I, I really struggled actually picking out games to talk about that I dislike, because the thing is, there are... There is an avalanche of terrible, terrible games, um... You know, there's been many consoles that have been filled with, uh, you know, just shovelware. You know, whatever developers can get out the door as fast as possible. And the games are bad and they're not worth playing. They're not, they're not even worth talking about because they're not good. And they do so many things poorly that it's, it's just not worth talking about. And back in the day, you know, we might talk about all of the shovelware on the Wii um, during that generation. Uh, Or all the shovelware on the Atari that literally collapsed the game industry, (laughs) you know, many decades ago before Nintendo brought it it back from the brink of death. And, uh, you know, today uh, with uh, Steam and digital platforms, uh, a lot of developers can basically just put out whatever they want with minimal barriers. Um, Anyone can, in principle, self-publish and just put an executable file on their own personal website, which is a game. And in fact, you know, some of some incredible games I have downloaded that way from a random person's personal website. And they've made a brilliant small indie game. And I mean, cave story actually started about that. Yeah. uh, yeah. Like that. And uh, we've talked about cave story before um, as one of the, you know, one of our favorite games of all time and literally just one guy putting something up on his personal website uh, many years ago. Of course, now you can get it everywhere. And so there are there, there is a whole vast array of terrible games that simply aren't worth talking about. You know, like a couple games that I was going through that I viscerally disliked because they were so terrible. It's not even really worth talking about them. Like there was this one, and the game is called No Time to Explain, and I'm going to spend no time explaining how bad that game is. You should never play it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, For me, some of the games that made the list are not necessarily the worst of the worst, but they do represent the end of a quality series. And uh, what remains after that quality series is hot garbage. Uh, So there are some games that represent uh, the fall of Rome, uh, for some of those uh, yeah. gaming empires, and I'll be sure to uh, talk about a few of those. We've also got a few games here that aren't necessarily,
2: they're not terrible, they're not bad. Some of them are even quite popular, but they're just games that we take issue with. And uh, we're going to explain what it is that we take issue with about those games.
1: Yeah, and like like I have said with the Caligula effect earlier, there are some games that have very good ideas with them that are bogged down by other things. Like, a couple of the games on my list... I think, with a few changes, could have been great games. But there's just individual aspects of them that, ooh, make me mad. Make me so mad. Oh, man. <laughs> awesome. So, Sean, um, which, which uh, gaming lineage do you think uh, that got trampled do you think we, we should talk about first?
0: For me, um, I want to talk about Star Wars. Okay. All right. And uh, specifically, I want to uh, put the flame broiler on Star Wars Battlefront Two. Which Star Wars Battlefront Two? Yeah, the second. Okay. 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 Star Wars Battlefront Two Two.
1: Gotcha.
2: Yes, because yeah. because Star- the first Star Wars Battlefront Two was amazing.
1: You
0: what? know what they uh, they did the sequel dirty. <laughs> <laughs> the sequel to the sequel. Yeah. Um, and I think that. Largely it was just because uh a certain arts of the electronic industry uh managed to get their dirty grubby money making hands on it and uh tried to turn it into a living breathing uh slot machine uh to which they would make a lot of money, and they basically destroyed it. Um if you compare Battlefront two to Battlefront two one
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, we need different um, names for these.
0: Yeah. The OG Battlefront 2. Um, you will find that... I don't know. Just It just rubs me in so many wrong ways when I play it. Um, like, the game... They, they almost thrust the the loot box mechanic in your face like some sort of digital penis. It feels like I'm choking on it every time I'm playing it. I'm like, mm. this... It doesn't, it doesn't feel natural. It's like reverse prostitution.
2: You pay to not get fucked. <laughs> yeah.
1: Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And, like, for me, it, it makes it even worse that it's a licensed thing. Yeah. Like, the fact that it's Star Wars. Like, say what you will about loot boxes and cosmetics. Like, I don't mind them as much in games that are, you know... I don't necessarily want to say wholly original, because... Uh, like, you know, League of Legends and Dota, like, the skins and stuff like that. Like, those aren't that, I don't find the paint for those cosmetics that too egregious. But for something like Star Wars, it's like, you all, you got the backing of, you know, EA and Disney, these two monolithic companies that already, you know, have so much money that they're just, it's so transparent that they're trying to milk the, the audience out of it. It's, yeah, it rubs me worse than a lightsaber on a Tauntaun's belly.
0: <laughs> and you know what? I think that just overall, when I see a video game studio advertise now that their game has no microtransactions, as if that's a selling point, I'm like, <laughs> part of me laughs and part of me dies a little bit inside, because I'm just like, you know, it, it kind of used to be like that, and yeah. it feels it feels as if we've entered into a new dark age where... The urge to try and milk the masses of all their money makes you feel as though, you know, someone is just jerking you around, um, you know. And it's almost as if... How do I put this? It makes me... I can think of quite a few games where the gaming experience... Um, started for me before that particular game and actually uh, i'll talk about another game that i have a little bit of a love hate relationship with and that would be magic the gathering arena (laughs) um because it's designed um that if you want to play it in certain ways or have a certain amount of enjoyment out of it you know sure you can follow the straight and narrow path that they make you feel like you have a choice you know uh to to play it for free um, but unless you're really good at the game like Santo, uh, it, it turns out to be quite an expensive venture. And there's tons of games, you know, like that gacha genre. Yeah. Oh, bloody hell. The gacha genre definitely, um, it makes me understand why the heck China, you know, over all the way over there, they've all of a sudden banned, you know, video games even further. And now, you know, you can only play, what is it now, one hour uh, a day for three days? Uh, wow. Yeah, just, like, restricting a bunch of stuff, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, it just goes to say that I I, I hate to think that the video game industry as a whole would need to have, you know, a warning label on it, like cigarettes or alcohol, but, like, how did we get get here? How did we get here from the golden age when we used to play a game, and the only reason why we stayed up playing it all night was because it was so goddamn fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i mean it became a big business right? yeah that's really that's really all there is to it is that it became you know to to be fair a little bit to these big game development studios the amount of money they spend on a lot of these AAA titles is it's utterly insane um yeah and i think that you know part of that is that you know a lot of people expect their games to have a, a certain like high fidelity style to them and uh, it, i mean we've talked about this before a little bit but it's really it's the, it's the art assets
1: yeah, that that
2: take the time
1: right yeah that takes the time that costs the money it yeah. takes it takes a long time it
2: costs a lot of money and the thing is that people have very high expectations especially because games are i mean games can now basically they have such visual fidelity; they can almost get past the uncanny valley. Everything in real time, saying, yeah. and the thing is that they can do that, but they can only do that with an absolutely mind-boggling amount of, uh, you know, uh, artistic like effort yeah. that goes into developing them. And it's uh, and they they see that, and they say, "How are we going to pay for all this?" Right? Yeah. Um, and the thing is that I think that unlike maybe some other industries, you know, the gaming industry doesn't do a very good job of, of, as a studio, like if we compare to movies, right? Cause movies have much the same problem. If we're talking about big budget movies, big budget video games, but see, there are some, uh, you know, schools of thought in the movie industry, um, both in live action and in animation, which, where they basically look at you know, the stuff they do to make money and the stuff they do because they want to make uh, a good film or a good uh, TV series or whatever. Right. And they sort of like the people even involved in the business side of it actually see it that way. And, you know, and they sort of like, you know, kind of shuffle money around in that sort of idea of like, okay, well, we know this movie is just here to make money and we know this other movies just here to, uh, you know, be cool. And they don't care so much if the weird stuff that they, uh, finance doesn't, you know, like as long as they want it to be profitable, Mm -hmm. but they don't need every single movie to be a a blockbuster hit that like, you know, you know, makes a hundred times its investment back or something like that. But they, but they do expect that from some other movies because they're intentionally balancing this idea that as a movie studio, you know, they are going to subsidize what they want to make with what they have to make. And I don't yeah. think game... I, I don't think game studios really... Like, the big game studios definitely don't look at it that way. And the indie game... I, I don't think the indie game studios look at it that way either. And yeah, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. I mean, it's. I think there's something to a lot of the indie studios that just focus on making good games always and... um uh, they know that as long as they make a good game, that they'll um, be able to recoup their costs.
1: Yeah. Like sometimes they, the big studios do do that, where they have um, publishing deals where they will publish smaller games as you know, just to get a bit more prestige and under their belts. But like uh, you see this, like. EA even has like their EA originals. They produce uh, the games made by Hazelight, which were um, uh, a way out, and it takes two. Which it takes two was actually like very profitable because pandemic. Uh, but it's it's weird because like it's very easy to be it's very easy to be cynical about those uh, with EA because
2: uh, I mean I'm just gonna you know it's <laughs> funny when you were
1: saying oh.
2: Uh, A brilliant series, you know, ruined by mismanagement and focusing on the dollar. And like, so we're going to talk about multiple and they're all going to be ruined by EA then?
0: (laughs) Some of them, yeah. Some of them for sure. Um, You know what? Before we, by the way, before we move on, in general, whenever I review a game uh, and give it a poor ranking, I'll give you a game that you should try instead. Um, okay. And so if you're thinking of trying Battlefront two two, instead try Battlefront 2 1. <laughs> it definitely uh hits the mark there. And uh if you can yeah. play it with your friends all the better. Well, that might be di- I mean that's might be difficult. difficult. That's yeah. difficult
1: now because the, the multiplayer was such a big thing and like did uh, Battlefront,
2: did the first Battlefront 2 even have a single player? Because I think I only played multiplayer. It
1: did. Yeah, it's a single player. It yeah. had, uh, and it's, you know, had a few different modes.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's funny, too, uh, just talking about Star Wars as a series. Because it's all, I feel like the Star Wars series has been really weird. It's always been a bit of a mix of cash grabs and just, like, games that you can tell the developers just really wanted to make. Sometimes at the same time, but usually, like... I mean, because they definitely made some terrible tie-in movie games. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they also made a lot of Star Wars games that were, like... I mean, Knights of the Old Republic was totally its own thing. It wasn't even related to the other uh, Star Wars canon initially, and probably...
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I don't even know if it's technically canon anymore.
1: It's, well, they, they decanonized the entire extended universe, so... Yeah, <laughs> so I guess... The, yeah, so no, yeah. but speaking of star wars knights of the old republic that's another game on my list no i, I actually don't like that game but i didn't put it on my list because that was that was the case with me playing it and being like oh this is i thought this was an rpg this isn't an rpg because i was so used to jrpgs oh yeah that just like turned me off but
0: <laughs> you know what i will uh pass the buck on to uh one of you guys for the for the next uh game in, in the series here.
1: Alright, well, if we, wanted to keep, if we want to keep it in space, the uh, next game I want to talk about is Into the Breach. And this is an example mm, yeah. that there are certain things when you add them to a game, or when you design, decide, okay, I'm going to make a game of this genre, there are pros and cons associated with it. Um, and like ro- being like roguelike, roguelite, that definitely, like, you know, adds pros and cons to it like pros you if you capitalize on the pros you have a game that has a ton of variety that you can replay over and over again it's different every time and you know they'll that'll keep a player playing it for much longer than just a linear single player adventure uh but on the other hand uh making it like that means that you can run into pitfalls that i think into the breach does where i just don't think the game is varied enough between ind- yeah. each individual playthrough,
2: yeah, uh, that's a pitfall, definitely, of a lot of uh, you know lesser roguelikes where every run kind of feels the same. I definitely felt that with Into the Breach. Um, it really feels like you're just doing the same thing over and over, and they you ha- they have different, they have some different factions with mechs that do different things. And unfortunately, I found that they all tend into like a couple of, they all tend into just being totally worthless, to be honest. Like there were some interesting ideas they had, and it didn't really work as a... Uh, like like the synergy wasn't there between the different cuz you're kind of locked into particular units uh, uh, faction i unit structure well I, don't
1: know. I i disagree about that because i think each individual crew is all about synergy my problem with them is that each crew seemed to have one gimmick that all the uh max works towards and if you weren't doing that gimmick you you weren't going to be successful yeah, so it that's... really lo- like it's it was it's a weird thing of you give the player a bunch of these different options but any option they pick they're locked into something very specific with that so it's a weird mix of giving the player choice and then taking it away that i just did not like about it
2: yeah yeah i would definitely agree with you there that yeah the, each faction basically has a gimmick that their that their gameplay style revolves around i just felt that like some of the gimmicks were just bad bad yeah and I, I, I not agree. not fun to execute and on some maps, not even possible. Like there's there's one uh, particular faction. I mean, there's more than one. I mean, the whole game. A lot of the factions revolve around moving units around. But I swear, there's one faction that's just nearly impossible to actually use properly if there are no if there are no hazards on the stage.
1: Yeah, uh, because they're
2: because they don't even have a combat ability or something
1: like that. Yeah. Well. I don't know. Anyway, well, we're getting into the weeds. It's been yeah, it's no, no, been it's, it's been a while to until since we you know
0: what. Uh, I'll be the contrary and say I really did like Into the Breach a lot. Um, it actually is one of my more favorite games. I do understand what you're saying about it, and there were tons of things that I thought that I was actually surprised that they, they didn't come out with any updates or even expansions to the game that totally would have. Um, I think had been that surprises me too because it's FTL developers
1: and they did a great. Uh, we did a great expansion job. Expansion to FTL uh, after that came out.
2: Well, and I think even before the expansion, FTL, the base game, still had some updates and stuff uh, that you know kind of tightened it up a bit. So it, it is quite surprising that they didn't do any... I mean, it was kind of a disappointment for me because I loved FTL. And the concept, at least, on paper, sounded interesting for Into the Breach. And yeah. honestly, like the first two hours I spent with the game I really liked it. <laughs> um, but it got very Sammy. And I think the the one thing that annoyed me the most, I think, is that the maps don't change. And I think that really brought it down a lot.
1: Yeah, like that's what I got written here is like, there wasn't enough progression between start and end in each individual run. And there wasn't enough variation in the places that you're going and what you're doing there. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the final stage is always the exact same every time, pretty much. Like, it's got the like the top level where you're doing stuff and then you got the bottom level where you're yeah, playing well, around. Like even a lot of the even a lot of the the ca- even
2: a lot of the campaign missions the actual missions are just identical. Yeah.
1: So like that that's kind of I want to bring it back around to what I said at the beginning is that there's pros and cons. Like I think that uh the core gameplay of Into the Breach though, I think is absolutely excellent because it's a game where you're given perfect information. And yeah. you have to deal with that. It's a You know, it's a turn-based strategy game, but it's almost a puzzle game with how you need to plan your turns out, be thinking ahead, and that I felt that the gameplay of it was very rewarding, but it's just the roguelike aspect of it, I thought, hurt the game so much. That like a game with those mechanics that had a longer, more varied, linear path, I think would have been a much better game for it.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because definitely what they tried to do with the missions is that because they had fixed maps okay and the reason they had fixed maps is because there are certain things that you need to have on the different maps for different styles of gameplay to even be possible and so i think that that was probably why they didn't go with like randomly generated maps Is just so that they were trying to avoid that kind of those some of those issues with random maps uh but What we ended up with was kind of a worst of both worlds situation, I would say, where we've got fixed maps uh, that don't change uh, fixed objectives, but we don't have the like we don't have the care of going into like, you know, specific details like in a linear story that might make that okay. Um, and then we also don't have, like, the variance that we get from something more random in a, in some other roguelikes that might randomly generate maps and randomly generate terrain. So, um, And then the other thing is that, uh, for me at least, I thought the idea of the uh, perfect information seemed nice. But I think the execution of it wasn't always as fun. Because you end up in like if we're analogizing it to a puzzle game, all right, it's a puzzle game where the difficulty is just all over the place. And, um, I think with puzzle games in particular, like it would be weird if you were playing a puzzle game and, you know, you got a really hard level and then a really easy level and then a medium level. And then like, it just like puzzle games typically have a fairly smooth, uh, progression, a difficulty curve, and i think that's good for puzzle games but then if this is more like a puzzle game it's difficulty curve is super whacked out and i think also that goes to the fact that they have this nonlinear thing going a little bit where you can go Mm -hmm. to the different regions in whatever order you choose but it does increase the difficulty of the so if you go to re if you go to the ice region first it's going to be easier if you go to the ice region second it's going to be a little harder If you go to the ice region third, it'll be a little harder again. You go to it last, it'll be the hardest. But the problem is that the terrain types and the mission types are fixed. And so the difficulty adjust, the the difficulty adjustment is like kind of imperfect. And it, it tends to just, I found the difficulty curve to be almost random in Into the Breach. Like it's, it's. Not totally random, but it's it's way less smooth than it should be for a game like that, in my opinion. And again, it's going back to those challenges of um having it essentially set up as a roguelike when it would be much better as a as a linear game.
1: Yeah.
0: Well hmm.
1: I I I you bring up a lot of good points, but I'm still gonna disagree disagree with you about the perfect information stuff. I thought that solving the each individual turn felt actually really satisfying. Like again, like this is this is an imperfect game, to me. But like, I don't like it. I don't. I wouldn't call it a bad game, though. Yeah.
2: Um, one of the other things I'll say about it is that I think the sound design was way lacking compared to FTL, and that kind of surprised. That, that
1: might be fair. Yeah. I... I I'd love to have an opinion on this, but I don't think I think I probably turned off the music after my first run. So
2: yeah, <laughs> interesting. I mean, the music was. Did it even have music? If it did, it was
0: completely unmemorable. Like, yeah, I mean,
2: that, <laughs> that's the thing. Like the music, I'm like, did it even have music? I don't. I think
0: really it had remember. what we would consider background. I music. think it
2: had background music that was just totally forgettable. But um, but not just that, but also like the sounds, like the combat sounds were lacking weight and they weren't like don't get me wrong they weren't like awful or anything but they were just they were exactly they were forgettable and um for me i was just a bit disappointed because ftl was so good on the sound design like uh the music in ftl i have on playlists that i just listen to because it's so good Um, the sound effects in FTL are very memorable and of course part of that also goes back to the fact that in FTL you have events that happen and the sound effects are linked to those events and so they carry a lot more emotional weight Uh, and at at core I felt that that was also like yeah I I had I had no emotional investment in anything in uh, Into the Breach really Um, it 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 has no it, you don't care about really any like it's a game where you're saving the world and you know you' destroying cities full of people, destroying cities full of people <laughs> and you couldn't be bothered to, you know care at all. It's a technically interesting game sometimes. like the puzzly aspects are fun, but um, compared to how much FTL had going on in that department, again, it's just sort of a uh, bit of a disappointment.
1: We can move on from a into the breach into a different game, perhaps. Mm-hmm. What do we got? What do we got? Uh, well, if we want to keep the a little bit on the theme of games that murdered a franchise, um, I know we've talked about it before a few times of how we don't like this game, but uh, we I'm not done uh, Fallout Three. Uh, yep, like complete depart... Pretty big departure from the previous two games, uh, and we've we've talked about how the open worldness and the jank is just made. I think makes this game un, pretty much unplayable. But one thing that I haven't brought up yet is how bad I think the combat is in that game. I think the yeah. combat is so rough. Now, all when it comes to first-person melee combat. There are extremely few games that I think does that well. I think the only game that I would say, yes, that does that well is, like, Chivalry. That's it. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, like, I'm willing to give them a little bit of a pass on that. Like, it's not good, but that's something that I don't see done well in a lot of games. So, whatever. But the gunplay in that game just feels... It feels so rough. Like, a lot of enemies, I feel, don't really react to any damage that you're doing to them, whether shooting or melee-wise a lot of the time, and I guess this kind of makes sense with, like, you know, oh, it's, you know, it's got RPG elements to it, so you know, when you hit an enemy in a Final Fantasy game, they stay the exact same. It's like, okay, fine. But when you, you know, give your game first-person shooter combat, like...
2: Well, and not just that, but uh, it has, like, the multiple modes of combat. Where you can either, you know, you can either shoot, you know, as in a traditional first-person shooter, or you can go into a, uh, you know, kind of almost not quite turn-based, but like a, a, a time-freezing, uh, yeah. tactical mode That's... where you can target different body parts, and it's like, well, a lot of the time that just didn't matter. Yeah, like I, you know, I want a game. I want a game where like if you're going to do something like that it has to matter right like i should be below i should like i should be making a decision to be prioritizing like oh do i blow this guy's arm off because he's like dual wielding two guns or do i blow his leg off to slow him down
1: yeah, right but for like all the humanoid enemies it's just like get close enough until you have a reasonable shot to hit them in the head because headshots do a ton of damage and then just do that or if, or if you're not doing that, shoot him in the body because that's the biggest, best hit percentage.
0: You know what I would have liked to see instead of how they handled that would have been some sort of quick time event, but you only get one. And whatever you do changes the nature of the fight you're going into. So, you know, if you're facing an enemy with two guns, yeah, sure, shoot him in, in the arm. Uh, and, you know, should you beat that quick time event, then, you know you've now changed the dynamic of that fight a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I but don't, know. But don't a- allow people to like, come back to it over and over and over and over again in the same <laughs> fight.
1: Yeah, and the gunplay, I, both in vats and just you know, aiming down sights or hit firing, it just... It did not feel good. And like, how like the, glitches. The rest, like the rest of that game. The glitches! I, <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, the glitches in Bethesda games are... Astounding, astounding, and amazing. Are allowed to ship any of them given the state that they're in. Fallout Three in particular, uh, I just it, yeah, it, I I couldn't finish playing it because of the glitches. That's you why know what? I stopped playing.
0: If 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 we made airplanes like Bethesda made cars, the air the airplane the the the, the, the travel industry would be done. <laughs> there would be pandemonium, death, chaos.
2: Yeah. Um, On the gunplay, though, I think the other thing is that the gunplays are slow and it feels slow. It is slow. And it's, but now the thing is, if you want to make your gunplay slow, that's okay. But you can't do nothing in response. Like, if you want to make the gunplay slow because it's really tactical and there's decisions to make and it's like, you know, interesting, that could be good. Um, but that's not what Fallout 3 is. You know, the gunplay is slow and boring and you're always doing the same thing, which is just aiming for the high percentage shots and just, you know, um, like it's not fun because you just, it's, you know what to do. It just takes a long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I actually, broadly speaking, um, I don't know if there, was there anything else you wanted to talk about Fallout 3 specifically?
1: Uh... Uh... I didn't like any of the characters. I thought the plot line was boring as hell. Uh, the original ending of that game made zero sense. Hmm. Uh, because you're basically at this... I never finished the game, so this is third-hand information. In or But the original ending of that game is that there's like a nuclear reactor or something that's going to go critical or some bullshit like that. And somebody has to turn it off. And you literally have a super companion right next to you. <laughs> and there wasn't an option to just send him in there and solve the problem. So you had to do the heroic sacrifice to go into this highly irradiated place to save everybody. it's like, ah, there's a fucking super mutant right there. Literally zero problems. Yep. <laughs> so it's just like, fucking bro. Like, like, you're not even being faithful to your own universe. Like, if yeah. if, that, that entire game felt like they got that property and then just didn't know what to do with it. Oh my God! They wanted to make their own their own thing, but then they just slap that name onto it because they had recognition.
2: Yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, um, I basically dislike all of the modern Bethesda games for roughly the same reasons. Um, like, I hated Oblivion too, and uh, I think I've already talked about this a bit. But you know, and and broadly speaking, my criticisms also apply to Skyrim because that's the same game as Oblivion. Um, and, but broadly speaking, it's funny because I was talking to a friend and she was like, oh, you know, I, I loved Skyrim. What, why don't you like Skyrim? And I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) well, you know, (laughs) first of all, the combat is very slow and boring. And it's funny because she was like, okay, yeah, yeah. The combat's not great. You know, second of all, you know, the inventory management is poorly done uh i don't know how they got the inventory management just so awful in the oblivion a- a game that i played mostly oblivion but and it was funny because she conceded that too i'm like oh yeah yeah, yeah. as an example diablo diablo the diablo series han- handles inventory management in a very similar style but much better um and then you've got the uh the glitches. Uh the glitches were Beautiful. really Beautiful. not good. I mean, <laughs> there's so many bugs. Disastrous. In like literally every Bethesda
0: game that I've
2: played. There's just bugs everywhere.
0: I've got a list of improvements that you can do to make your Skyrim oh, experience oh, yes. much more enjoyable. Yes,
2: I know that I know that it has an insane modding community that's like, you know, probably, you know, tried to fix any problem that I could conceivably have with the games. But I will not accept that as them having released a good game.
0: Okay, you know what? No. This is fair. Exactly. If, but if,
2: if, if Oblivion with mods is the greatest game of all time, I don't care. Oblivion's still a piece of shit.
0: Let me tell you what makes it better, is the first thing you need to do is replace the dragons with Thomas the Tangent. <laughs> this is the number one improvement that will vastly make your experience way better. Second off, instead of playing the normal game, the first thing you should do is make a beeline for the Daedric bow. Because let me tell you, with that weapon in your hands, you will truly have a better experience. And then you should proceed to get infected and follow the vampire storyline so you can go around fucking with absolutely everything. (laughs) And lastly, you should make sure to fuss Roda every major character that you come in contact with to see how this terribly fucks up the game. Make sure to quicksave before you try this.
2: Yeah, so anyway. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I had... Oh,
2: fuck. I and, had then, a, and then also, yeah, the writing's terrible. terrible, right? <laughs> like, Oblivion has really bad writing. And uh, the voice acting's bad, too. So you take bad writing and you hire cheap voice actors, and then you're yep. not going to get anything good out of that. So at this point, it's got bad game... It's It's got bad combat. It's got bad writing and story. It's got a bad. It's full of bugs, and it's a terrible. Inven- it's got a terrible inventory management thing. That's most. That's like that's already a lot of gameplay time. That it's terrible, and it and like I don't know. I I think you know people were impressed with some of the set pieces and like graphics or yeah the, something like the, that.
1: The argument that I've heard the most as to why people like those games is the. Uh, Scope and scale of it, which I don't think is actually that impressive. Yeah. I mean, I just, I
2: gave up before I could even get to that, because it, everything about it was, like, so terrible in the first few hours I spent with the game. I haven't actually played that much of it, because that's how much it pissed me off.
1: Yeah. Like, the, the, it's it's kind of become a joke now, but, like, the, uh, see that mountain? You can, you can walk to it. (laughs) <laughs> and that's kind of like the ethos that's been in these Bethesda Game Studios RPGs. And we, we should clarify, but when we talk about all the Bethesda games, we mean Bethesda Game Studios. Like, for example, Sean, you've played Dishonored, and you like yeah. that quite a oh, bit, yeah. and that, that is a Bethesda-published game, so, you know. yeah, Not everything at that studio is, uh, is, is a train wreck, but, like, I I don't really...
2: Now, Dishonored, is that still an open-world game, though? Uh,
0: it's... Uh... I thought it was
2: a lot more linear.
0: Well, I mean, there's... It's linear in the sense that you're going from mission to mission. But within the confines of each mission, it is what I would consider open world because you can do absolutely anything you want in completing it, including not... You know, you can dick around yeah, in, it's, in an area it's, as long as it's possible. It's a stealth-action game, so, okay, lots so of
2: yeah, yeah, okay. A stealth-action game is not an open-world game.
1: Well, uh, yeah, like, I, I, I forget, like... Unless it's like Assassin's Creed say, Oh, you're on this mission and you are in that area and you gotta complete the mission, or is it like, okay, you got this mission, it's not this area, all the way over here, you can go do that mission, or you can do, go do side stuff. Uh
0: well, at least in the first Dishonored, there was, like your central hub world, which is the ship that you keep coming back to.
2: Basically, the okay. work
0: I think basically
2: is it Assassin's
0: Creed? No. Then yeah, no. it's not really an open world game. Oh. You know what? Here's here's a game that's uh, quite the a- the analog and a- and a good segue to that is Cyberpunk twenty tw- seventy seven. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Uh oh, ah,
1: the most anticipated game that I can think of, honestly. And
0: Cyberpunk oh, twenty seventy
2: seven yeah. has had so much. It had so much hype for so long.
0: It had so much <laughs> potential, like a wrecking ball being held five hundred feet above your head, <laughs> ready to drop like I can't there's only one other game that
1: I can really think of that did that much damage to a company or or franchise and that's Mass Effect Andromeda is the only other one I can think of where that was released and some a beloved thing suddenly became toxic as all hell because like the Witcher games are very popular um and they're generally considered to be extremely well-crafted games. Yep. So, and CD Projekt Red also, um, has a big stake in, uh, uh, good old games. Yeah. So that's a studio that has a ton of, uh, good faith, uh, with, you know, the gaming community, but they released Cyberpunk 2077 and now it's like, the memes didn't stop coming about that about that <laughs> studio and that game. Like, I saw so many, like, Twitter posts that were that fucking, like, cyberpunk template with the yellow background with the text of just them trying to, like, apologize for shit. And just in so many meme formats. Yeah, like, that game... That game caused, like... Great ugh. consternation. Yeah, that game was so <laughs> rough that it, like... It caused companies to like start imp- actually like trying to implement a refund pro- policies. <laughs> yep, and stuff. Oh yeah, but, like... I mean, I I think I saw a
2: comic, and it was a comic made about the Battlefield Five trailer, which dropped uh, not that long ago, and uh, a lot of people really liked the trailer, and basically, uh, you know, the game. Wait, did I say five? He said five. I'm a absolute fool. Never mind. I meant to say Battlefield uh, 2040...
1: 2042. No,
2: 2042 was the old one.
1: No, 2042 oh, is no, the 21... one that hasn't come out yet.
2: 2142 was the old one. 2042. Sorry, yeah, okay. Yep. Anyway. No, 2142 getting... is the
1: future one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway,
2: Battlefield... So Battlefield, 22, Battlefield. 22. yeah, I saw this comic about Battlefield 2042. And, you know, the character's like, Oh, this game looks so amazing. I have to pre-order. And then, in a thought bubble... Oh, wait. Cyberpunk 2077. I have to buy it on release day.
1: <laughs> well, like... Yeah, like oh, the man. game's
2: so bad that people, like, don't want to pre-order things anymore.
1: Yeah. I heard of a couple people that took... Yeah. They took time off work. And then the game got late And then they like, still took more time off work. Because they're like, I need to have the entire day to just sink into this game. And... Man, they did themselves no favors by naming the game Cyberpunk. When you name a game after like a genre set like thing, like <laughs> you're 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 fucking calling your shot pretty high there. Yeah. And oh uh, man, like so, Sean, did you? I know you were super hyped for the game. Um, did you end up buying and playing it, or was just the the uh, the press around it so bad? I
0: ended up buying it and playing it, Okay. and my experience, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was not impressed. <laughs> I was not impressed at all.
1: Like, like, what specifically, like, really, like, pushed your buttons?
0: Uh, well, let me tell you, in a, in a genre where, you know, you can go to any other game that is years older, and you know uh, and those games had been released while Cyberpunk was still being worked on uh the, the biggest one was was just world like like making you feel like you're actually immersed in a world there were so many glitches related to that that in yeah. Cyberpunk 2077 you constantly feel as though you the player perhaps are being hacked or glitched by the developers <laughs> in their mad quest to uh to make this world seem as artificial and and, and hollow as possible, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was there was just so many instances where I'm like, yeah, no, this is this is. Uh, besides just being an annoying bug, this actually feels like it's completely breaking my immersion here. Yeah, um, that sounds awful. Yeah, and I definitely, I think that the. The the ideas behind it were utterly cool, but the execution of it was just lacking polish, well, to the point where you could say that it was raw. <laughs> yeah. It was a raw game. It lacked polish. Didn't
1: lack polish. They're a Polish developer, you see. Indeed. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, ah, yeah, that's yeah. Cyberpunk's definitely that. Uh, it's.
0: It's, it's certainly been the whipping boy. <laughs> some way. So. Yep, the dark mark on <laughs> on, the, on that on that studio. Yeah, yeah. like the, their shareholders
1: sued because that game was so bad. Ha! <laughs> yeah, that that's that's pretty
2: bad. Yeah.
1: So, I I think this is a good segue though, uh, because Cyberpunk 2077 was definitely like it was a failed promise. It was promised that this is going to be this grand epic definitive cyberpunk experience. And it just didn't end up being that. But there's another game that I think was also a failed promise, and it goes back to it goes back to launch games. Now okay. in the olden days, you got launch games and pack-in games that were, you know, great, like, you know, Super Mario World that came with the SNES and is widely considered the best or one of the best games on that platform. Uh Then, as time has gone on, launch games, you know, the quality has started to be a bit shaky around maybe the PS2 era. Nowadays, um, the Xbox Series X or whatever, I don't even think that had a launch game. What? (laughs) Halo Infinite got pushed back. Oh, wow. they They got... that Wait, why
2: are the, Why are they even releasing a console
1: without? a Because game? Sony did. As well. Because a Sony did, and B they you know were manufacturing them. What, what were they going to do? Hold now? on, did no. the
2: PS5 not have any launch games?
1: The PS5 came packed in with Astro's Playroom, which is a by all accounts an amazing game um, because of how it takes uh, advantage of the new features of the controller, and it's also a huge PlayStation nostalgia trip. Like people like that game. Quite a fair amount. But, well, a lot of launch games for those platforms were also able to be played on, like, PS4 and Xbox One. It's ah, the problem. So.
2: I see. No exclusive launch games.
1: That that's That's basically... Yeah, sorry. I should have been more explicit there. But one launch game that I th- think is probably the launch game that did the most damage is Red Steel. Oh, God. Red Steel. Like, when the Wii was coming out, <sighs> people... When you first saw that controller... Like, people rightfully scoffed at, like, what? what is this thing? Like, motion controls, what's that? So the lead-up to the Wii was definitely, like... People had a lot of different feelings on it. And so, like, there needed to be a game that came out that proved that, you know, this is a concept that can work for traditional video games. Not made by Nintendo. Yeah. Because, like, Wii Sports? Fantastic. Uh, Twilight Princess? uh. Other people might not like the motion controls in that game. I love them, uh, but Red Steel, like putting that in and trying that out, that game just didn't work. It just didn't play. Like you couldn't do anything you wanted to do, and so. Yeah. Like...
2: Well, I think with the motion controls in particular, one of the one of the biggest um, one of the biggest challenges, and in hindsight, biggest screw ups, I think was that. Red Steel is trying to be a sword game, okay? And the concept of, uh, like, using a controller like the Wii controller to fight with a sword, that is a solid idea, okay? Like, in principle, that can be an incredible idea. And I think the problem is that the controller just didn't have enough tech in it to bring that to life, no matter how hard anyone tried, which is why... Very late in the life cycle of the Wii, they released the Motion Plus adapter. Yeah. like And the Motion Plus adapter, I think, added a gyroscope because the actual original Wii controller does not, I believe that was what it was missing, is it they chose not to put a gyroscope in to save on costs. Now, the problem is that by doing that, you don't actually know the orientation that the controller is at except by having tried to calculate everything on the fly and store results and do a bunch of math continuously. And the problem is that the error, uh, just the error between where the controller thinks it is and where it actually is, it gets too great over time and you get really, really poor responsiveness. And then, so they added the gyroscope, I believe uh, maybe something else as well in the motion plus adapter. And now, they could make a sword game that actually worked, like the Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword had the mo- it required the motion plus adapter Yeah. because, and it had a more uh, fine, like in Twilight Princess, the motion controls basically, you
1: it know, was, it was wild to swing. It was waggle to like, swing. Okay, like vague sideways and upwards, and uh, the sta- the stabbing in that game wasn't great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: um, but Twilight uh, Skyward Sword now. You know now you can actually and there were other games that used the motion plus adapter um to actually finally track the orientation of the controller so that you could actually use it in a fairly good feeling sword game kind of thing where you can do different slashes at different angles and it it tracks it and understands what you're actually doing but they didn't have that in the original controller And Red Steel was a complete disaster because it simply did not do what was promised.
1: Yeah. And like you said, it was trying to be a sword game. Remember, it wasn't just trying to be a sword game. It was also trying to be a gun game. And
0: that also did... That worked even worse. (laughs) You know what? Let me pipe in here. I had an experience with Red Steel for sure. And it lines up with exactly with what you guys are saying. Like, it...
2: It promised very high, and it just could
1: Delivered not deliver. very low. Because yeah. the... the, the t- expectations uh, for that game were uh, out of line, probably, but, I mean... Who's they were out that? of
2: line because it was the only launch game that... Like you said, it was the only launch game from a third party that, like, didn't look like a, a total
1: piece of crap.
0: Well,
1: like, there, there was also uh, Need for Speed Carbon also came out, but, like, you know, motion control, like, driving like this, that's a lot easier. That's a lot easier to uh, get right than... Like also Mario, Mario Kart, Wii, I always play with uh, the tilt controls because I think that's the funnest way to play that game, and I still am able to do very well uh, with it. So yeah, it's it like you talk about you know certain games like killing a franchise. This killed an entire <laughs> this killed an entire controller almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my
2: god. Yeah, I mean I'm I you know what honestly I'm actually really. This is, like, a totally just my own, like, side note here, but, like, I'm really choked that that the uh, Wiimote and Nunchuck didn't, like, get pulled forward more because I thought that, like, especially once they added the Motion Plus, uh, that like, it, it was actually fun. Like, you could do interesting things with it, right? Mm-hmm. And, unfortunately, although they brought the Wii controllers onto the Wii U to be forwards compatible there... Uh, there were two things that went super super wrong. Okay, the first is that they didn't pack in the Wiimote and nunchuck with the Wii U. So developers, a lot of game developers, didn't want to risk making a game that relied on you know customers to have purchased additional hardware that did not come with the console.
1: Yeah, that's and
2: true. and I remember like this was a huge this was a huge sticking point for why. Uh, game developers uh, did even nintendo themselves didn't use uh, the motion controls in wii U era games uh, really much at all and then they didn't have uh and then when they went into the switch they didn't bring they didn't bring forwards compatibility of anything forward to the switch which to me it
1: just like it just
2: annoys me because yeah, like well, like the Wii U Pro Controller is probably one of my favorite controllers ever.
1: Yeah, that one I'm pissed about. Like the the Wii Mo and Nunchuck stuff. Like getting away from that. Like I'm I'm not that bummed about that. Well, okay, I shouldn't be that bummed about that. But the Joy Cons are such a piece of shit that it does make me bummed because those things are well, a they're tiny, and b I I don't think they work. Yeah, great.
2: Yeah, this is this is the this is the angry sun zone. This is the angry episode. I'm looking at a Nintendo Switch Pro controller, and I hate it. <laughs> okay? Like, it's, this it's, shouldn't exist. It's a
1: bit off. Yeah, it shouldn't. Like,
2: the, the, there Like is no reason for this piece of hardware to exist. The only reason this... I can't... Like, I honestly... I can't... Like, is this just a money grab? Like, it's exactly the... They s- needed a screenshot button. It's yep. exactly the same as the Wii U Pro controller, except for the screenshot button. Except worse. The ergonomics are worse.
1: The, the thumbstick position the is stick right.
2: The stick position's worse. It's ugly. Like, it's literally worse in pretty much
1: every way. Yep. Except well,
2: the screenshot button.
1: Uh, well, there's one other thing, but honestly, this is more of a knock against the Wii U Pro, Pro controller. Is that the Wii U Pro controller never, never sent any data through a USB connection? Whereas this one can. Uh, so you can have uh, this one plugged into your PC, I believe, uh, and use it without having to hook it up through Bluetooth. I mean, so again, okay, but that, uh, but that's like I can hook that's my, not really that much of an. I can hook my Pro
2: controller to my PC through Bluetooth, so I don't really care about having it wired.
1: As as, as somebody who at one point did not own a Bluetooth adapter for their uh, PC, that was a sticking point. But, yeah, hey, pretty twenty dollars later, not a problem. Pretty minor. Um,
2: mostly I'm just annoyed that they didn't bring the hardware compatibility forward because the Wii U Pro controller was so good. Um, and then also again, just in general, like I f- the Wii U had a lot of missteps and, uh, the fact that the fact that motion, the fact that like a fine grained, you know, sword type motion controller basically died just due to like poor business decisions and planning it's it's very sad actually because um, I would say that once they like the late generation Wii games like Skyward Sword and even some of the uh, even some of the games for the Wii U yeah. like the Wii U actually it, it had Nintendo Land as a launch title which was amazing actually I love Nintendo Land it had some of the most innovative multi- asymmetric multiplayer I've ever seen uh, yeah and mm-hmm. super super fun. Um, I love that game and uh, it has a few, it has a few games in it that actually do have uh, sword controls. Like there's a Zelda one in particular that has sword controls that work flawlessly because again, they require the motion plus and it works really, really well. I think you could still have that kind of control option available and unfortunately
1: it's dead. It's probably not coming back. The only place you can find that now is VR. Yeah,
2: yeah essentially vr essentially it was going yeah essentially it was doing things that vr is now doing before vr was actually
1: popular so yeah that's the travesty that is red steel
2: red steel killed a controller <laughs> probably for like two generations and permanently killed it in the home console market
1: yeah The the sin is on your hands would be soft It'll speaking, only be the speaking, only way,
2: the only way that, if Ubisoft is listening, the only way to remedy it is to remake Red Steel or make a new Red Steel game in VR. That's it. Speaking really of good, Ubisoft. Was it?
1: Yeah. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Again, splinter
1: cell. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this because I think they might actually go against public uh uh bad, that that, opinion? That
2: opinion. Prevailing public opinion? Yeah.
0: So, the latest game, Splinter Cell Blacklist. This oh, is never an mind. an abomination. <laughs> I forgot about Blacklist. <laughs> it's blacklisted. Fuck that game. First off, how could you replace Michael Ironside? Michael Ironside is still alive and well, <laughs> knock on wood. And let me tell you, there was nothing goddamn wrong with his voice acting. In fact, he was integral to... Sam Fisher's character getting rid of him is fucking stupid. It's fucking stupid. That, that yeah, it's like that'd be like getting rid of David Hayter for a Metal Gear game. Oh, <laughs> but let me tell you what else went wrong with this Splinter Cell game is, and and you know what? I would say that even though I still enjoyed Double Agent, Double Agent was where it started to go wrong. Um, they. They went in a much grittier direction, mm-hmm. uh, in the series, with the beginning of the Splinter Cell series really focusing on the stealth action gameplay. And it's like the game designers all of a sudden, uh, they became more obsessed with it being an action game. And I, I think they just, uh, they got diluted in their vision of what made. The series excellent starting in in Double Agent uh, and Conviction for me Conviction at first like like as as a Splinter Cell game it, okay it was it was enjoyable but as a game in the Splinter Cell franchise I hated it actually uh, mm-hmm. for what it did to the series is just um, it went from being you know your your stealth action game where yes you are the badass you know with who's completely in touch with their environment, you know, and it's up to you to use the tools and the environment around you in order to complete your mission. Meanwhile, in conviction, it was essentially, you know, you are a motherfucking superhero. You know, Mm -hmm. you might as well see Sam Fisher sign up for the Avengers at that point, because, you know, now that Black Widow is uh, six feet under, (laughs) he could have replaced her in that series. Like, holy shit. Um, And, it it just felt a betrayal to everything that the Splinter Cell franchise had built up and invested in before that, and to me it represented you know um, yeah just just an abandonment of one's principles, and so um, you know Splinter Cell Blacklist definitely on the black list conviction already you know solidly uh, zero conviction zero conviction in making that game. <laughs> and and double agent was where it it all started being a traitor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so it was an, an appro-
1: almost appropriate downfall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh so oh, that's that's rough, man.
0: Splinter Cell um if you're if you're looking to enjoy the Splinter Cell series, the highlight of it was definitely Chaos Theory. Mm. And there's even some ports uh of of Chaos Theory for you to try. Um Truly, truly, like, especially when you play on the more difficult settings. And actually, that's another thing I didn't like about Conviction, is that every enemy seemed to have this mystical ability the moment that they suspected uh, that you were um, in the area, that they would just be taunting you uh, endlessly. And the taunts were were so comical uh, compared to the tone of the rest of the game you know, like, essentially, like, you know, hearing an enemy basically trying to, like, goad you by, by taunting your mother, you know, invoking your mother's name to try and get you to come out and beam them to death with, with your one-shot pistol shot straight to the dome in quick-time event mode. It's just like, yeah, no, this is this is ridiculous. The number one reason that I would use quick-time event mode was to get these motherfuckers to shut the fuck up. <laughs> that is not a good game mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> So that's uh, that's that's Splinter Cell for you in a nutshell.
2: Okay, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a game out here. Okay, all right, and now this one, th- this is this is probably the high highest rated and most highly acclaimed game that I fucking hate. <laughs> okay,
1: I'm very very curious. Uh,
2: we've talked about game another game by this designer on the podcast already, which is actually a good game. And, uh, basically, uh, I'm talking about Braid. Oh, okay. And True. Braid is by a guy named Jonathan Blow. He's the game desi- main game designer. Uh, he's not the only one on the team, I don't think. No. Uh, it was not a solo project. But this game, uh, everybody loved this game. This game got hugely, <laughs> like, this game was huge. It got very high reviews, uh, basically everywhere. Uh, it sold tons uh, of copies and made a lot of money uh, because it was a uh, basically the only indie game worth playing on Xbox Live Arcade or something I guess
1: so okay the reason behind that is um, Xbox Live they did these these things called the summer of arcade where they put out like a digital game uh, every week and marketed actually marketed them and a lot of uh, games have come through there and been extremely successful it like being in the summer of arcade was uh, a huge a huge for your prestige and huge for your bottom line um shadow complex is a game that people love that came through there uh bastion yep uh by you know super that also uh, came through there so um just just by being one of the games in that uh lineup like gave it a level of prestige and yeah, and,
2: well, and the other thing about braid, it's... the other thing about braid is that what I'll say is that I think part of it is that its product at the time when braid was released, indie gaming as a concept was still sort of becoming a more mainstream yeah. idea, and there weren't a lot of really well made indie games on the market yet, and I think a lot of people basically were praising Braid so much, partly because they were trying to get ahead of trends or something. And and I mean, legitimately, it was a lot better, I think, than a lot of the other... I think the Xbox Live Arcade in particular was kind of full of shovelware initially. No. No? Uh, well, well, yeah. Okay,
1: on X- Xbox Live, had a ton of shovelware in it, but those lineups of games were, for the most part, very solid. Okay.
2: But anyway, um, so I think... Like, the environment was such that it it was like a powder keg where, like, it was kind of the first, like, really big indie game that everyone kind of was talking about, right? Uh, And uh, the thing is, now, Braid's not, honestly, is it terrible? No, it's a puzzle platformer, and it did some interesting stuff with uh, some time manipulation mechanics, and, I mean, that was its main thing, really. Other than that, it was a straight puzzle platformer. But here's my here's my biggest problem. The first problem I have with Braid is that the platforming sucks. The platforming makes me want to vomit. Like jumping and just walking around are not fun. The game has loot, like I usually refer to like you know, platforming controls as like loose or tight or something uh, like that. And it's really it's about how responsive is your character to turning left and right. How responsive is the character to jumping when you hit the jump button? You know, if, if the game, some platformers have variable height of the jump based on how long you hold the button. Now, if that's the case, you know, how responsive is the variable height uh, mechanism to how long you hold the button? Right. And all of that is terrible in Braid. It's all really, really sloppy. Your character does not turn turn quickly your character does not there is variable height jumping in braid and it does not respond well at all and i'm sorry but that's just like right off the top that is unforgivable in a platforming game to me okay like i don't care if you did like some interesting puzzle mechanic you made a bad platforming game but alex you're missing the
0: point you can just undo it <laughs> you can do it over again. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, and that's actually something that pissed me off in that game is that it has this time rewind mechanic where oh you know you mess it up. Well, I'm only messing it up because the game has bad controls, and that's not fun. Okay, when the controls are bad, and I like you know hit an obstacle, and then I have I get to rewind because of bad like to fix the you know mistake caused by bad controls. That that's not that just doesn't feel fun to me. Okay. And other than other than the platforming, you know, I honestly found a lot of the puzzles like fairly simplistic. Like the there, the, I don't know if it was the first game to do time rewind mechanics. I don't think it was because no, <laughs> uh, th- those are fairly like I feel like there's a lot of platforming games that have done stuff like that.
1: Prince of Persia came out before this game.
2: Prince of Persia came out as a 3D platformer with time mechanic uh, time mechanics yep and I you know I hadn't thought of it being before braid, but Prince of Persia, the sands of Time is incredible and I probably did play it I I think I, I played that like when it came out so I would have played it before braid yeah. and so I wasn't particularly uh, blown away by the the time mechanic and so the puzzling was just sort of boring I, I thought. Um, it wasn't awful like it was fine. But for the most part, I played Braid and I thought, okay, well, this is a fairly short, fairly mundane puzzle platformer.
0: Why is everyone, why is everyone freaking out about it? But Alex, you missed the entire point of Braid. Don't you understand that the whole story was actually an allegory for the development of the nuclear bomb?
2: Yeah, and that's and that's the other thing I hate. Was this a Metal Gear game? That's the other thing <laughs> I hate about that game: is that Jonathan Blow is just. He himself, like, in interviews and and such, like, the guy is... Eccentric. He's a a blowhard, okay? (laughs) Oh, wow. I was trying to be nice. (laughs) Uh, But I agree. (laughs) he He talks big. He makes it sound like he's doing these amazing, incredible things. And, I mean, we talked about The Witness before, which was another game he was involved in. And The Witness is legitimately a very good and interesting game. And the non-verbal communication in that game is an absolute masterpiece. And uh, so, I mean, I'll give him some credit for that. But, you know, he, he talks as if he's doing these things that are, like, incredibly groundbreaking, never been done before. And frankly, I mean, they they have been done before. Uh, and with Braid, I felt like the execution was actually fairly poor. And he did not deliver on his, you know, huge promises. Because uh, it got a lot of press even before it was released. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just... It's a... Like... It, I'd say Braid is a fairly... A fairly forgettable... It's an average puzzle... Pla- it's an average puzzle platformer with below-average platforming controls. But if you read reviews about it, you'll have people saying it's one of the greatest games, like... Like... The greatest indie games ever and it, i'm sorry it isn't
0: uh, <laughs> uh and then these days he's
2: <laughs> like yeah these days he's got some like he's trying to make his own programming language for some reason i yeah. still don't know what that's about
1: um oh yeah he's like he he has had some opinions about dev tools that i don't share but well that's a topic for another day yeah. uh, uh <laughs> but yeah like braid i honestly not really worth playing Sean, uh, I I know you know back when this game, I know you played it, and I seem to
0: remember you liking it quite a bit. Do you have any counterpoints? <sighs> you know what? I think there's something interesting about. So there's there's the there's the ridiculous for for me. I think that braid it was very cathartic for me, and this is just more of personal opinion. But as someone who demands perfection from my own personal life in many different areas. Braid touched on that in a certain way where this time-rewinding mechanic, you know, you didn't have to restart the level if you fucked up. You just turned back time a little bit. And the end result where, you know, it ends up with a perfect run... And there's a few games like that, you know, where uh, you'll know you go through the replay of the run and and it shows you the results, you know. um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, with Braid... Just uh, um, hacking away at the process until, you know, until you've got this level just right and figuring out each of those puzzles, it did feel very cathartic to me. And taking a look at the storyline, both on the base level of, you know, essentially, you're pretty sure that the main character, Tim, you know, his girlfriend is actually running away from him because he's <laughs> an abusive prick, you know, and clearly the knight is there to save her and he's trying to figure out, you know, how does he undo all this um, that was interesting on one level, and I could kind of understand that as a thematic element. But then looking at the ridiculous theories that the princess is an allegory for the nuclear bomb, and that Tim is piece by piece, uh, you know, like that's like that's like Alex. Remember back in English,
1: oh, oh, high school English class, <laughs> I tried to tell you that any poem can be an allegory for the Cold War if you try hard enough. <laughs> And yeah. we were doing a poetry assignment, and you had picked a poem by uh, Pablo Neruda, I believe, and it actually was an allegory for the Cold War. <laughs> just, like, absolutely proven the point. It's just like, if you try hard enough, anything could be an allegory for anything.
2: Yeah, and I but, think, so, you know, with with literary criticism, um, you know, definitely there is a risk of kind of going too far in overanalyzing a piece and reading things <laughs> in that are not there.
1: You should watch uh, Unraveled by Polygon to for a perfect example of going too fucking far. Ah, uh, yes. yes. You know what? Uh, but um, but I, I think Braid, as a subject of um,
2: criticism, as uh, as game criticism sort of evolves, Braid has been subject to way too much criticism. Way too much. It is, like, seriously, it is not a game that warrants that much like, discussion. Warrants that much discussion. I think that's you know
0: fair. what I'll say is that if you... Were ever thinking of trying braid or have tried it? Um, it's a short
2: game. I mean, it's, it's a short
0: game. If you want one that's whose secrets that you delve are much more satisfying, try Fez. Fez <laughs> was an amazing experience. Um, it has that similar gimmick uh, to it, you know, that that really defines it. Um, and it has that same therapeutic feeling, uh, for me, uh, that I felt as, go- you know, when I was going through Braid. And it's also designed by somebody who, um, an eccentric game for, game who shouldn't be in front of
1: a microphone.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's also successful,
2: yeah. but, uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I think, uh, Jonathan Blow, if anything, is really like, it's more like he wants to be a game critic that happens to try... Be trying his hand at making games. You know what? There's, I,
0: I there's dare, much better I, examples of that. I, huh? I, I dared Jonathan Blow and Phil Fish to get together and create a game studio called Blowfish. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <And it would> <laughs> <change>. <laughs> oh, oh my god! This is uh, oh, this needs to happen. Oh, this needs, oh, to happen. It needs to happen. Needs to Blowfish needs to
0: make a game. <laughs> oh my yeah. god! Uh, and it would be it would be beautiful. Yeah. <sighs> <No. laughs>
1: I don't know if we have anything else to say about Parade, but um, one game that actually wasn't on my list that I was reminded of in this discussion uh, was uh, Limbo. That being, you know, a very critically acclaimed puzzle platformer that I thought, I just didn't think it was anything special. But I think that because Sean just popped up inside on his uh, Steam library, same developers, yes...
2: I was trying, you know, I was actually just thinking, like, if Limbo was the one I was thinking of, or if Inside was the one I was thinking
0: of. Yeah. You know what? Okay, let me say this. I haven't played Limbo yet, but Inside, as I delved through that story, it was like it was sickly compelling. Like once you, you know, like this, this the story in in Inside takes you know the perspective of this innocent little boy here, you know, who's navigating through a f- frankly like horrifying world um and i had this like knot in my stomach the whole time that i was playing it being like ew what am i going to discover next like this is already creepy oh god what is that you know let me get away from that i'm like wait what am i propelling myself towards to like what am i going to eventually find and um without spoiling it for anyone yeah yeah. you find some shit (laughs) yeah okay so (laughs) yeah
2: so what i'm what i'm gonna say is i've played both limbo and inside and i think largely uh what i'm gonna say kind of applies to both of them as a traditional they are neither a traditional game nor do they have a traditional story in any either of those senses really okay in terms of the gameplay they're both fairly easy and straightforward like they're puzzly but the puzzles aren't they're not gonna take you that way solve the puzzles are straightforward they're not difficult and then the story had the story been communicated more directly this applies more to inside because inside has much more of a implied story than
1: yeah uh limbo that's my fucking problem with limbo because
2: limbo doesn't really have much of a story
1: to me limbo has nothing limbo has a little kid in a black and white environment that gets killed by spikes and then people think it's art yeah that's that's what limbo is to me like it's a it's a it's a fine puzzle platformer like the platforming is fine the puzzles are fine, like it's the, simple that, like simple the, simple like, but fine. It's for me that's a seven out of ten game. Yeah, like it's fine. You can play it, you can enjoy it. But there was a lot of people like putting you know one of the you know top five games of games that released that year and yeah. so what, really really go into town for it. What I just didn't understand what,
2: what 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 Limbo has going for it is it, it's got. It's got a unique aesthetic. Like, I think that's really... That's about what drove a lot of the acclaim, I think, right? Or at least it's what drove interest to it. Because it it does have a bit of a... I mean, I don't think it's the only game that has that aesthetic of just, like, the really dark, you know, almost monochromatic palette. But it's not a common choice. And it was very stark looking, visually. Mm -hmm. It's got a very visually, uh, unique look and, uh, people, people like that. It it generates interest for sure. Um, inside is, uh, similar, but a bit more textured. I I mean, you said they're the same studio. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like inside's basically like what limbo was trying to be (laughs) perhaps. Um, because I'm agree. I agree with you. Limbo feels unfinished somehow.
1: Oh, I think it felt finished. Or I just maybe it's not good, well, I, not fleshed out. Really. I, I I just don't f- like. It's fine, but the perception around it is that it's like one uh, super amazing game and it's like uh... Okay, yeah.
2: so it's a pretty it's a pretty straightforward, simple puzzle platformer uh, with a unique
1: graphical yeah. So um... art direction. That's a, that's about it. Yeah. But,
2: um, yeah, but I feel like Inside is definitely. A more fleshed out version of a <laughs> yes, phrasing. So very, very mo- f- phrasing right there. <laughs> it's a it's a more fleshed out version of uh, basically what ins- uh, what Limbo was trying to do. Yeah, um, like, I
1: haven't played Inside myself and have seen very little of it. I just yeah. I, I dismissed it as just being Limbo again, uh, it, so I didn't try it. But... I would
2: say it's Limbo again, <laughs> except uh, fantastic. It's better done. I I wouldn't call it fantastic. <laughs> I'd say it's a nice... Limbo is...
1: No, the only thing I know about is the twist at the end.
2: Limbo is a nice pl- puzzle platformer uh, with a story that is communicated non-verbally through not cutscenes, but like like the Half-Life style cutscenes where you're still in game and then stuff just happens around, around you in the background. And it's very stark looking. And it's got a twist at the end. Yeah, so there you go. And, you know... Maybe it's the uh, M. Night Shyamalan of game development. Uh, Oh,
1: dear lord. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, David Cage is probably the M. Night Shyamalan of game development.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking in terms of movies that are really... I mean, his early work was very acclaimed until he started doing the same thing over and over.
1: He got pigeonholed. (laughs) Like, that became the joke about his movies and then those became his movies. Yep. So the weird self-fulfilling. So anyway, prophecy. yeah, I mean,
2: Limbo inside, they're fine, but yeah, we're they're definitely overrated. Yeah.
0: You know what? I'm going to talk about another series that uh, completely lost its way, um, and that's the Command and Conquer series. <laughs> also bought,
2: you know, uh, EA bought Westwood, and then the series kind of started going down too.
0: Yeah, um, I would definitely say that the point. The point. Now, now, some people might disagree with me out there, but I think that the point where the series went downhill was actually Command and Conquer three. I I, I disagree with you, and I think it was Generals. But again, I
2: think it went down. I think it started to decline immediately after EA. Bought okay.
1: It. Uh, I need some clarification for the timeline. Um, did Red Alert three come before or
0: after Command and Conquer three? After. Okay. Continue. Yeah. Um, and with Red Alert three, like. It kind of went back to its fun, campy roots, at least in the terms of, like, you know, the. They got Ric Flair to do cutscenes. Yeah. So, like, uh, like, I'm I'm, like, whatever. I don't care how that game plays at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, you know, there's that classic uh, line from. uh, Who was it? Tim Curry? (laughs) Going to the one place that capitalism can't follow. Space. Space. Uh there's probably so many outtakes sitting on the of floor from that.
1: Not one take, one take uh, curry, one take curry.
0: Because
1: <laughs> there can't have been more. Oh my God! If there were but, more, they would have used the. F- well, whatever. That was so fucking campy and funny that. Yeah. There were more you serious know, takes. They wouldn't use those. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think that EA just as a company did. Does not have the same chops that Westwood and later uh, Petroglyph Studios, you know, the remnants of of, <laughs> uh, of Westwood uh, Studios, you know, that they had, um, because all of all of the Command and Conquer series until EA truly got their hands on it, you know, for me, those were all quality games, um, and I think that. Just because they could throw more money into, you know, the, the art of uh, Command & Conquer 3 did not make it a better game. Um, and I think that that game appears to have been lost before they even really started actually developing the code. Like, I feel like the direction that they wanted to take the franchise started going off the rails. I mean, and then Command & Conquer 4... Oh my god. It was <laughs> supposed to be just an online only version that they released in China and then they decided to make it into an actual flaming piece of shit game that just just destroyed the end of the franchise too. You yeah. know, like they they, they 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 ruined the canon experience of Command and Conquer for that. And then and and then let's not forget the mindless EA's trying to make a few more quick bucks mobile game version of Command and Conquer and I'm like that. Oh my god.
1: That actually, like, on initial glance, the mobile game actually looked okay, but I mean, I never played it because I knew, oh, this looks like, you know, Clash Royale, except EA's developing it. There's no way in hell this is going to be a, you know, not horrible pay to win ad filled piece of garbage, so I never even touched it. Yeah. Like that. EA, your brand is so toxic. Some games that you make I won't even touch. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I worked for you for almost a year.
0: <laughs> My god. Yeah, so Command & Conquer, the uh, series that imploded, thanks to EA, they, they, fill, they filled the games with implodium and uh, <laughs> and unleashed it on well, us. You, know you, you know the
2: funny thing that I, that I don't really get about EA sometimes is that, because they've done this a lot, they see a franchise that's really successful, that's growing, that's really popular from a smaller studio, They buy the studio and instead of leaving the studio alone to like continue making the games that were the reason that EA bought them, they try to like force decisions into the studio's management that the studio doesn't want to do. Half the studio, like the studio starts falling apart and all the people that actually are important to why the games were good start leaving. And then of course they still own the rights and it's just not the same. You know they they've done this. It's a pattern with them, and they don't seem to learn. And I I just don't get it because like there's a few studios that they do kind of more they take dice right. Like mm-hmm. they mostly seem to leave dice alone and let them just develop the battlefield games on their own, which like not entirely, but like well,
0: it seems know.
2: it seems like they give dice a lot more uh, autonomy. That is. I don't know, maybe not. Because okay, there's.
1: I will counter that with two points. One is that Battlefield is still a uh, like bi- yearly franchise, where you know there's a Battlefield game every two years. I'm pretty sure that's been the that's been the cadence for a very long time. So that's still like you have to have it deliverable every two years. And sometimes, like with Battlefield 4, they did not make that deliverable in quality and with with enough quality. Like that game was yeah. buggy as fuck when it came out and 2 Battlefield Hardline. Oh. You d- you either forgot or do not know what this game is. I I must have missed this. You game. know what? <laughs> <laughs> this was the Battlefield game where one of the factions was cops.
2: What the fuck?
0: Yeah. Yeah. All
1: right, th- never
0: mind. You <laughs> know what? You know what? <laughs> let, let me put it this way. EA's business model, the best allegory for this is pies, you know? A great a a, a great video game developing company, you know, they make a beautiful pie. What does EA do? They see this pie and they go, "Mm, you know what, I I bet everyone would love this pie. And you know what they do? They buy the pie-making company and the first thing they do is they fucking jam their fingers into the pies in the pie factory before it makes it to your table. (laughs) That is the EA business model. (laughs) Uh. They can't help themselves. (laughs) And it's so funny, too. Okay, so...
1: The origin of EA is hilarious in hindsight, <laughs> because Electronic Arts, the, the original name of the studio was Electronic Artists, and there's this amazing old, like, newspaper article where it, the headline, it, and it was about, like, EA and this gathering of all these creative minds, and, like, the byline on it or whatever was, like, can a computer love? And, like, they were they started out as, like, techno-hippies. And now they're just like corporate FIFA overlords. (laughs) It's so funny to me. Yep. Yeah.
2: I mean, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I mean, you know, that's the funny thing, though. Actually, a lot of the, a lot of the large corporations actually do have like surprisingly like, um, like wholesome roots,
1: right? I mean, same with Activision. Activision was developers that wanted to get credited in their games. From Atari, but they weren't willing to do that, so they split, they made Pitfall, and they made Breakout and all these cool games for the Atari, and now they're the Call of Duty studio. (laughs) That's all they do. All their other stuff that they did, they don't do anymore, they don't do Guitar Hero anymore, they fucking milked that cow until it shriveled up and died.
2: (laughs) I even remember, you know... Um, yeah, they used to be, they used to do publishing too for other studios. I, there was this other game I played a long time ago. I can't remember if Activision actually developed it or if they were just the publisher, but it was this really weird, like it was a Star Trek RTS. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Star Trek Armada. And I think that, it, I think it even had a sequel, Star Trek Armada 2. And you know, I'm going to be honest. Was it the best RTS? No, but it, I do, I do, I do like Star Trek. You know, especially 20 years ago when it was being actively released. Um, but basically, they somehow or rather, you know, got the rights to develop a uh, Star Trek RTS with its own unique original plotline and story. And honestly, they did, good, they did a good job. It was a interesting game with, a, you know, little fun RTS mechanics. And, uh, you know, I played... Played the campaign, played some multiplayer. It was a fun game. I liked it. Um, yeah, Activision doesn't do that
1: anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, mm. if we want to get into a studio that does put out uh, potentially questionable games, look no further than Square Enix. Oh, no. <laughs> Final Fantasy 15. Let's talk about it. All right. I've got... Oh, my God. I've got so many goddamn notes. All right. So... Final Fantasy XV, my favorite way to describe this game, is that it's an open-world game designed by people who have only ever heard of open-world games. Because <laughs> this, seriously, this game does everything an open-world game could do wrong, wrong. And it also does almost nothing that the Final Fantasy games do right, right. So, let's start by the fact that, you know, one of the key things with open-world games is exploring the open world. So, what does this game do? Okay, okay. You have a car. Or can you drive the car? On the roads. Can you drive it off the roads? Not from the start. You need to get something later to be able to do that. Okay, if I get that thing later, is it going to be, you know... Is it going to control well off-road? No. Uh, The game has... Yeah, like, the travel is built around this car. And there is fast travel in it. But if you're using the fast travel, you're doing yourself a disservice. And the reason for that is... uh, All of the side quests in the game... Ha- are absolutely flavorless. They are, they are, you know, I, I won't call them white rice because white rice is awesome and has more flavor than these goddamn side quests. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's just uh... like, you know, one line of dialogue from an NPC, one line of dialogue from your main character, Noctis, who's a dick. I fucking hate this kid. And then like one other line of dialogue saying like, go here. I need to, I need this thing. And then you're off. There's, like, very little dialogue with the actual quest givers, for the most part, and any, like, flavor texts that you get along the way with your party members talking to each other about the quest, if you fast travel, you miss it, pretty much. Oh. It, like, it only really triggers if you take the quest, go into your car, and drive. And now, I drove pretty much everywhere, despite the fact that getting from point A to point B sometimes could take you six or seven minutes, and the car drives automatically. Ah. Like, if, if you want to drive the car, like... You you literally drive the car by holding down the trigger and auto drives. And you don't really, like... It's not like you are have a great sense of speed and you're taking sick turns or anything like that. Uh, the driving was, like, the best part of that game, weirdly. And the only reason for that was... A, the banter between the party members, like... Was actually okay before it got pretty stale and repetitive. Like, the group of four that you have kind of do seem like friends that have known each other for a while. One of them, uh, Ignis, you'd love him, Sean. He constantly does, like, really shitty puns. But the way he delivers them is completely deadpan. So he's not, like, putting emphasis on the puns. And, like, in the subtitles, like, the pun words have quotes around them. It's so
0: weird. Oh, my gosh.
1: But yeah, the only reason the driving was tolerable was because your car had a radio that you could buy soundtracks to other Final Fantasy games to play on them. <laughs> so it was like that part was actually like kind of chill in a weird way. But like everything else around that game was so fucking garbage that it didn't help. Like uh, visually, the game I think is really unimpressive, and this is coming from uh, I think the Final Fantasy games have been for the most part uh, some of the most impressive visually, games I've seen, like, 8, 12, and 13 for the respective platforms, uh, were games that, like, blew my mind when I saw them for the first time, uh, in, like, the in-engine stuff I'm talking, like, the, uh, the CG cutscenes in this game do look amazing, but there's almost none. Uh, it seems like, you know, the game had a very troubled development, for sure, so it seems like the budget... For that game, just went to the fact that it took so fucking long for that game to come out, that the budget didn't seem to be put into quality. Um, the there's a day night mechanic that's stupid. Like for a while, you can't even really drive at night, and what? even because most like devil monsters come out at night, and so the, you'll be driving, and then like an iron giant will like plop down on the uh, road, and then your car just comes to a stop. And you can't drive past it, and it's so all the traversal is awful. And because of this day and night mechanic, there's certain things that you can only do at day and night. And there's not a fantastic way of passing time. Yeah. So I think we've talked about
2: this before, but you know, one of the things we often really liked when we talked about why we liked open world games, it was because traversing the world is fun.
1: Yeah, and in this game, it's not the number one reason. Watch in the world is so bad in this game, is this one fucking bush <laughs> that they copy-pasted all around the environment, everywhere. It's, like, a little bit taller than your player character, <laughs> fairly decently wide, oh, no. and it can't... has collision! You're bumping into this fucking thing constantly, and it's everywhere. And because it's copy-pasted, it's not like they used. They may have used, like speed tree for the trees. They didn't use buy like speed bush or whatever to make a bunch of bu- <laughs> to make a bunch of like unique bushes. Like I, I cannot. Oh my god, this bush haunts
0: my nightmares. <laughs> you like, know what? Maybe okay, maybe this can, is not the, different bushes. Maybe I, this is one central bush describe, that you can describe
2: the size and shape of the bush. Tells me all I need to know. <laughs> Oh my, <laughs> oh my god.
1: And it gets in your way when you're traversing. It gets in your way during combat as well. <laughs> <laughs> and the ca- and the camera during combat is also terrible. Um, they went with, uh, the, they went with action combat for this game. Uh, oh no. Instead of, uh, you know, menu-based combat. So, you know, this is their, like, one of their first big attempts at that, like, other than, you know, the Kingdom Hearts games, which had the same director, uh, Nomura. Um... And the combat feels like it's got like some interesting stuff where like okay it's very uh, like dodge focused where you you know you really want to be split second dodging this stuff but uh, it just feels so stiff and unresponsive a lot of the time and a lot of the, like you can like warp to, throw your swords to warp to enemies. And, like, that's the most interesting thing, but that's extremely finicky. It doesn't feel like the combat has any flow at all. Uh, All of the, like, equipment that you can get and equip, like, just feels... It doesn't feel like there's meaningful progression behind it. The actual, like, character leveling up progression also feels really stilted and off. Like, there's a tech board that's got, like, a bunch of, like, really weird stuff on it uh split up into like, oh, these things help your exploration, these things help your battle, these things help like your individual things that the character specialize in. For example, one character takes photos everywhere. What? And so you can level up his photo taking. How does that help you? It doesn't <laughs> What the fuck? Do, uh, like Is it like a
2: do you get to look at them or when, something? Okay, so
1: at the end when you decide to rest for the day which is what takes all your earned experience and gives it to you. So you have to be resting to actually like get your experience to level up. Then you get some like really weirdly well rendered food uh, that has texture popping though. So it looks like gar- <laughs> it looks like garbage, and the textures popping and like that looks fucking delicious. Uh, it's then strange. Experience. And then and then yeah, you get like this list of this list of like photos that are just like you know. Uh, generated from what you've done, like, you know, you'll get, like, an action pose of you in battle or you driving along the sunset or whatever. And then a few from, like, random stuff that you do, like you can stop at certain spots and take extra photos and stuff like that. So it's, like, it's there to evoke what I think this game has was trying to do but failed. I was initially extremely excited for this game because it was pitched as a Final Fantasy road trip movie. Because the basic plot of the game is that you and your buddies are driving to this other, like, kingdom uh, because your main character is getting married. And so, like, that's kind of a cool concept to build a game around, and even cooler to build a Final Fantasy game around because of all the baggage that carries. So, I thought that this was going to be like, you know, okay, that makes sense for it to be an open world. You're driving to this kingdom, you're going along this... Along this path, you're going to various, you know, towns, complete side quests, getting, like, a lot of flavor on the places that you're visiting. But it just has none of that. It immediately devolves into there's an evil empire that attacks your hometown.
2: <laughs> oh, really? Like,
1: yeah, really. <sighs> and so, and then, like, it could have been awesome. It could have been, like, you know, this sense of camaraderie between these four people. The Some of the stuff they've done to make it seem like a road trip stuff. Like, you know, having to stop for camp, having, you know, to eat a meal, and you see these photos and stuff. And, you know, there's fishing, there's a fishing mini game, of course. Of course. Uh, it, like, a lot of that stuff could have been a really cool thing, but again, this game feels like it was torn in two different directions mm-hmm. between what it set out to be and what it ended up being. It's just... <sighs> I will go on... Right, I think it's the worst Final Fantasy game. And that's a tall order, because 2, 8, 2 and 8 exist, as well as 10-2. And 10-2 two. Ten, ten two also exists, and that's a whole other can of worms. I mean, Final
2: Fantasy has probably the worst numbering scheme.
1: It's one of the worst. I think the winning 11 games have the worst numbering scheme. 10-4. Is there winning 11? It's a soccer franchise, because there's 11 you know, players on the pitch. Okay. But what if happens if you put numbers after them? Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh my and, lord. But yeah, so... yeah, that's Just tell me. Have they made a winning 11-11? I don't know. I think if it eventually turned into Pro Evolution Soccer. I'm not... Well, though I'm not 100 sure on that. Soccer games outside of FIFA scare me.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, what about Super Mario Strikers? <laughs> that scares me. Have you seen Waluigi Crotch Shop? Oh my lord. <laughs> uh uh scares me because the AI cheats like a motherfucker. Yes, it does. Uh... Oh, yeah, and the last thing I want to, like, really hammer home about Final Fantasy XV is I mentioned that Noctis, the main character, is a dick. He embodies the thing that I hate that people talk about Final Fantasy as. Like, people talk about Final Fantasy as having, you know, the moody or brooding or whiny protagonist. And that has been true in the past, but generally, like, the characters have had specific reasons about it or something like Titus and Squall from Aiden. From 10 and 8 respectively were shit but like cloud had a reason behind uh how he acted in that game lightning had a reason behind how they acted in that game noctis as far as i can tell is just being a prick all the time for no discernible reason <laughs> like he he's just he was on the shit list yeah like i've gotten decently far in that game i still have no idea what his motivation is i don't know
0: it's fucking garbage uh, so I took a look at some of the older games that I had played for N64, um, including some of the ones that, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna give you a quick laundry list of uh, of of of, of games here, because um, I had a few on my list. Um, I tried Once Upon a Time Superman 64. Oh, I'm so I'm so sorry. So oh, As a child, oh. this was a traumatizing experience. Oh, God. Lex wins. <laughs> yes, yes. Lex always wins. Uh, if, the, okay. if, if the Superman franchise only existed on the on the Nintendo sixty four, Lex Luthor wouldn't yeah. win. All right. Like that, Superman sixty four is one of like it's one of the most notable
1: examples of a bad game. Like, in su- ter- like that, that that brought itself to a certain level like, by having a like having the license.
2: Superman sixty four is like for those of you who don't know, it is. Literally, its claim to fame is basically being one of the worst games ever put to cartridge. Especially, like, you gotta consider. Like, earlier I was saying, oh yeah, you know, there's lots of bad games that we're not gonna talk about. Because anyone can throw an executable file on a website, right? Superman 64 is not that. It is a licensed property from D.C., that had to be printed onto cartridges
0: because this is the N sixty four, and it it is an abomination. You you'd have more fun loading a cartridge full of gunpowder into your N sixty four. You would actually <laughs> like, that turning would be, on the power. That would be very fun. Yeah. <laughs> um. well, what I would recommend that you try instead. Is Super Mario sixty four? That's another game that starts with Super and ends with sixty four. That's not going to drive you up the fucking wall, <laughs> unless you're wall jumping.
2: Oh,
0: yeah, and, um, if you're, and
2: if you're one of those people that's like, "Oh, I gotta try it for myself," I'll go and emulate Super Mario, Super Superman sixty four, just to see how bad
0: it is. Don't, no, no, no it's no. not worth it. Um, there's another game on there. Now, there's plenty of Mario Party games that I enjoyed. But, uh, let me tell you, if you want to experience some permanent damage to your thumb joints, try playing the first Mario Party for too long. You will quickly discover that the designers of the Mario Party series realized there was something terribly wrong with their first game when the second game already had many improvements that, uh, that, uh... Eliminated Ugh, Mario Bar-
1: Fucking Mario Party 1. Holy shit. I mean... My like, game is mean. Yeah,
0: yeah. It is.
2: Yeah. I I mean, sometimes we'll go back and reminisce about Mario Party games. And we're always reminiscing about Mario Party 2 and 3.
1: Yeah.
2: It, it never won.
1: Yeah. Like, one had probably just as many things that take away coins from you as give them a lot <laughs> of the time. Yeah. And... Yeah, you mentioned, you know, your thumb's just falling off with some of those mini-games where you have to (laughs) rapidly rotate. (laughs) Like, Nintendo actually had to put out gloves that they would send you in the mail if you requested them to put on your hand because people were using their palm to spin that and they were, like, getting horrible calluses and ripping the skin on their palms from spinning that thing so much. Like, that's how devastating this game was to your hand, that they actually had to put out, like, this was, like, the first example of the fucking Wii condom, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> there you go. Nintendo, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Your peripherals are destroying the world. Um, and, uh, one of the, well, you know what? I've got, um, two more that I'll go through real fast here, uh, on the old school side of things, and one of them's actually not a Nintendo 64 game, but Jet Force Gemini. I actually have it sitting <laughs> there on my goddamn shelf. Oh, I you like that game. You know what? I I tried replaying it. And uh, <laughs> I don't know... You, you know what? Rare came out with so many other great hits. um. And Jet Force Gemini, when I come back to it, I'm like, oh my god. It, uh, it does not feel as well polished about it. I don't know what it was about that game that sucked me in so much the first time. But uh, coming back to it, it, did, it, it wasn't... Uh... <laughs> I think you know sometimes
2: in that era, like it, the transition from like 2D games to 3D games, it was rocky. Yeah. And there was a lot of stuff that came out that it just that just doesn't hold up, you know. Yeah. Um, and even if it felt like it held up at the time, it doesn't. It might have been okay for the time, but it isn't now. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate for sure. And you know, it's it's. I mean, you know, we might. It's funny. I was actually looking at a couple games that I was thinking of, and I was like. You know we should maybe talk about them different day because uh, there are some games from that era that had really interesting ideas that I don't think have really been done quite the same way, yeah. That uh, would be kind of interesting to see given that the limitations now that held them back are like the technical limitations, like, yeah, like a game in particular. I'm thinking of like, there's this one called Space Station Silicon Valley. <laughs> Oh Which my God. It's a Rockstar now, game. Interestingly, essentially a Rockstar Studios, uh, before uh, the studio that made it got bought, I think. Or did they just get renamed or something? I'm not sure. But yeah. they got renamed and now they're like Rockstar North, mm-hmm. I think. Anyway, uh, I guess I'm just talking about this game now. But it's uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's a very interesting game because basically you control a microchip. And uh, the microchip you can control can uh, take over animals Uh, i think the concept is that the animals are supposed to be robots or something but i'm that part i can't remember the story what little that game had but basically it was just sort of a weird excuse to uh, essentially uh, control a whole bunch of like weird animals with different control schemes and then trying to accomplish objectives on this space station right i really liked it i thought it was a really cool concept and even at the time though, the controls held it back because the 3D, <laughs> like the, especially the camera angles were like really yeah. challenging and, um,
1: the N64 controller. It, it's, uh...
2: yeah, it didn't, it wasn't the best with that controller. I think if you may, I think if you wanted to make something like that today, you could do it a lot more justice because it was a cool idea. It was a cool concept. And you could do more, especially in terms of different animals that you're able to take over, right? Um, man, there was another game where like taking over animals was a whole. Yeah, uh, it. I
1: bet. <laughs> it's but not that uncommon, I guess. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Jet Force Gemini. I've I know so little about this game. You know what? I, I know it's a rare game. That's about it.
0: <sighs> I think me and Sean when well, they developed by Rare Games Banjo Kazooie was definitely the other end of the spectrum for Rares, like, games like that. Like, I don't know... Yeah. I would say that Band of Kazooie... But there's also... I don't know. Jet Force Gemini... I think it was just the controls that did it for me. They, they did not... They did not, it yeah. did not age well. I mean...
2: That's the thing. There's a lot of games from that era where the controls and camera angles and stuff like that, they just, they're the reason it's not holding up.
0: The last game on my retro list is not a 3D game. It's a 2D game. It is Echo. Echo Echo the Dolphin? Really? The Dolphin. Oh,
1: man. Okay. I've not, I've not played Echo personally. I Um, mean, but.
0: Difficult as fuck.
1: Yeah. Frustrating. Do you know the story behind
0: that? No.
1: So the, okay. Okay. I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard this enough times that it's either true or a Mandela effect, but the developer of that game uh, was uh, scared that people would rent it and beat it and not buy it, so they made the game, uh, like, more difficult than I think it had any right to be for a, like, casual dolphin swimming game that invented Vaporwave.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know what? I think you know what's interesting is I read that recently too. Okay, so you're not crazy on that one. I mean, I've heard I've heard stories like that where the devs
2: usually, like, I've heard that same story not about Echo the Dolphin, but about games in general, and many times, usually it's at the behest of the publisher. So the
1: stories go that, that was the entire like ethos behind arcade machines.
0: Yeah, <laughs> making them as fucking yeah.
1: difficult as possible. Yeah.
2: But yeah, Echo the Dolphin. I really liked Echo the Dolphin, honestly. Um, I thought it was a fun game. Fair game. Was it difficult? Yes. Could it have been simpler? Yes. Well Does that make it a bad game?
1: Maybe. It's it's difficult to
2: tell. It's difficult to tell. I liked it though, and I'll say this. It wasn't um I think maybe the problem with it is that it's a bit esoteric in terms of it's like (laughs) hints. Yes. It doesn't tell you how to play the game.
1: I've seen three pieces of dialogue from that game. Incomprehensible. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean the thing is, if you screw around with the controls long enough and exploring the level, eventually you'll probably figure out what to do. It's just that it's whether you enjoy that or not, I think, Because, like, see, for me, I really enjoyed my time with Echo the Dolphin uh, because I wasn't really trying to beat the game. Partly that's because I didn't even know you could beat the game. Like, I I didn't even, like, I was so young when I played it, I didn't really understand the concept necessarily (laughs) of, like, even progressing in a game. And so I just, like, screwed around and played with, like, swimming the dolphin around and hitting weird crystals with my echolocation. And I'm like, why are these crystals here? I don't know. What am I doing with them? I'm not really sure. But I just kind of explored the world, and it was fun. And it was kind of chill, right? Uh, And so, amusingly, it was almost like, for me, the game was so difficult that I didn't even know it was supposed to be difficult, and I just, (laughs) like, swam around.
0: You know what? And eventually
2: made progress, like, accidentally.
0: (laughs) There's another game for the Sega Genesis that... You could verbatim have the exact same experience that you just described, but you'll actually have fun. You know what that game is? It's Toe Jam and Earl, which I have talked about before. Um, but yeah. How the fuck is that the same experience? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I wouldn't you're at con- all. <laughs> <laughs> you're, c- you're
1: comparing, like, weird d- dolphin adventure to, like, funky roguelike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've played Toe Jam and Earl is pretty sick I've, I've played, played Toe Jam to and yes.
2: Earl not
1: at all <laughs> not at all getting what you trying to put down there uh, um, uh, speaking of the Genesis um, I had Sonic on this list but I've removed it <laughs> you had Sonic on this oh, list yeah. I, I could talk about Sonic on a later date <laughs> fair um, enough but Let's let's shift gears a bit. Um, okay.
2: I mean, we could talk about Shadow the Hedgehog. We don't need <laughs> that to. That was a game. We really don't need <laughs> to. <laughs>
1: uh, we don't. So you know, I started this off with a, a JRPG with a weird name, and I still have one game I want to talk about after this one. But let's bring it back to that 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 it's such a it's such a healthy genre to uh to get weird, awkward games out of. Um, Bravely Default. Yes, that's the name of a game. Okay. Uh, this is a JRPG for uh, the 3DS. And Bravely Default, for the first good chunk of time that I played it, I was having a fantastic time with it. It is a game that wants to, it harken back to, uh, like, the older era of JRPG. Specifically, I'd say Final Fantasy 3 is what it is most, like, looking back into, um, it's got a job system, like, three, like, five, you know, four-character party, you're going, you're literally going around to crystals, and checking out the crystals and stuff, and, uh, the game, because it was on the 3DS, it did a couple, like, really awesome quality of life, life things, like, being able to save anywhere, for example, yeah, uh, that's, you know, uh, a really good thing to implement for a portable RPG. Uh, it also had the ability to completely turn off or increase the encounter rate. So like if you want to explore an area afterwards, say you like missed a path that you didn't go down, you went down the critical path instead, you can very easily, uh, traverse different places, which is a, is a godsend later on. Let's just say that, um, there, there's a couple things that was initially irking me about the game. Um, the job progression was really stilted where, you know, each job had different levels that you got ability points and you eventually level those up. And as you level those up, you got more uh, abilities and attacks that you could do. And it had a pretty, you know, expected progression of the amount of skill points that you needed. But at some point it went from 800 to get to a level to 3,500. So, and so like that jump was like, really crazy it's like okay that doesn't make any sense at all and then you find out that and this is i isn't really i don't remember if this is explained to you but it took me by surprise that if you start using a job that you're not leveled up in enough you'll actually like your stats will take a penalty and oh what yeah huh. so and for a game with a job system like having that wealth of uh, customization to what your party's rules are that feels really off to me because already going into a low-level job, you won't have access to a lot of abilities of that job. But say you just really need a certain ability of that, or you really need you know uh, more speedy characters in your party for a particular encounter. If you you know experiment with new stuff, you're going to be penalized for a certain period of time until you level those jobs up, and so that was really like, really disheartening to see. Like, it felt like it really broke that system, and which is weird because that's a system that, you know, has been done extremely well in the past. That's why I say it harkens back to Final Fantasy III in particular because Final Fantasy III had a similar thing where switching jobs came at a cost, and I think that that's just such a backwards way of designing that system. So, beyond that, which was was irking me, the characters, I didn't like them that much. They were kind of tropey, but whatever. That's par for the fucking course, as far as I'm concerned. But then it got to the point where the the storytelling just became insulting to the player. (laughs) Insulting? (laughs) Let me put it this way. I have put a lot of hours into games I have not liked to see them through to the end. I quit Bravely Default out of spite. (laughs) Wow like, it did something that pissed me off so much that I put it down so I'm never touching this game again. Even if I think, oh, maybe I should go back to that, I'm never playing this game again. Because you have a fairy companion named Aerie. Really original name, Aerie right? Aerie the Fairy! Yeah. Uh, and uh, as you go through the game, you're basically finding out about um, just, you know p- past events and... You know, sealed up evil and all that stuff. You know, standard JRPG stuff. And as you're going through, you as the player start to question more your fairy companion. About, like, what they're doing. and I'm getting into spoilers here, but whatever, I don't give a shit. I'm probably,
2: yeah. yeah you, I know enough. you two don't give a shit. We're not playing. Saying it for if you're uh, listening,
1: uh, why would you want to play bad games? Fair enough. Uh, and so, at a certain point, you as the player straight-up told that she is evil <laughs> what yeah and crazily enough the characters are also told fairly directly that the fairies are not good that they are not to be trusted that they're evil that they are the cause of you know any calamity that's happening in the world the player characters are told that but that doesn't get reflected in any of the actions or anything that they do and Like, one of the most direct... Maybe that's because one of the most direct uh, explanations of this comes as part of an optional thing. But it's still like, why even put that there? It felt like they were, you know, really trying to foreshadow this twist and then just told you the twist before it happened. (laughs) And so the storytelling, like, is really, like, really bad in that regard. But what the game... And as well the game has a subtitle, uh, Bravely Fault, uh, uh, Where the Fairy Flies, or something like that. And after you get to a certain point in the game, if you hover on the title screen for a little bit of time, the text, like, some of the text fades away, and just says, Airy lies, in all red text. What? Because, you know, that Airy is your companion, and Where the Fairy Flies, if you take away yeah, some of those letters, yeah, you get yeah, that. Yeah, sure, I get that, but like, what? Yeah, yeah so like, they're being, like, really upfront about this, like, twist that isn't a twist. And it's like they I don't know if the people that were writing and designing this game felt like they were doing something special with this. Like, oh, your companion that you've had for a while is evil. Like, that's not a new concept by any stretch. So, like, I don't, I don't understand. But here's where the game falls apart. Like, really falls apart. Time loops. Let's talk about them. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh-oh. You get to a certain point in the game where uh, something happens and you're sent back in time to basically the beginning of the game. Uh, but you still have all your stats and all your jobs and all your equipment and all that stuff. And this is where turning the encounter rate off really fucking comes in handy. Because you have to go through certain areas again. Oh, God. And everything's still severely under... No, well, the, like, they... You're overpowered the, or...
0: Uh,
1: I forget. I'm pretty sure they raise the level to where you're at. Uh, and as part of that, it's like you all, you, you go back now and you basically have to go to every crystal that you went to and fight a more powerful version of the boss that you fought there. Oh, good. And there's also optional bosses. You have to beat certain bosses to get uh, certain jobs in the game, and there's an optional boss associated with each job that you have that you can go and refight. and at, again at a you know appropriate level. So that happened. And I did that. I went through all the, all the crystals. I beat all those optional bosses. Got to the same point, And almost nothing changes in the dialogue. And you're sent back in time again. Wow. And you have to go through again to all those fucking four crystals. And uh, beat those optimal bosses if you want. So I did that again. And again, barely anything changes. And sent you back again. Ha <laughs> ha! Excuse me? And I'm like... What the hell is going on? It's, this game has the most padding I have seen in anything? That's including insane asylums and movies. This game has more padding than those rooms.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you, uh, you know what the most? If you're so that that's when I quit. That's why I said this is not this game is not respecting my time, which JRPGs usually don't. But this game is insulting my time. And you know what the crazy thing is? I looked it up. It does it one more time. Wow! You have to go through and fight these same fucking bosses four fucking times. Wow! And it's ah, uh, it's infuriating to me. And they they released a you know a follow up to that called Bravely Second, and they're and, and soon they're releasing Bravely Default two. So this this actually probably has the stupidest naming scheme, <laughs> n- numbering scheme uh, ever, right? <laughs> bravely second, bravely second, and then and bravely, bravely default, default two. To. Like, oh, no. what the hell going on here? Uh, but I don't know. So like Why this,
0: this, Just this bravely that that, that the right there, Santo, is the default. The default is that you fight the bosses. Yeah, like I understand. Like
1: the term default now is is you is used as a shitty way to like talk about like players in Fortnite not having, like, super crazy cosmetics. So default is now a derogatory term. It should have been a derogatory term way way sooner with this fucking game. Oh my god. Alright. Calm. No, angry. Because it's still the Angry Sun Zone. Uh, Alright. The, the, that particular studio did also make Octopath Traveler, though, and that is a good game, so... Maybe the other games in that series are, are fine, but... They don't this, just produce garbage. But this game... Whoever designed this needs to be shot. Yeah. Whoever designed this needs to go back in time and design it better.
0: But Multiple times. Four so, times.
1: Yeah. Speaking of um,
2: designing and the effort that goes into design, um, I just want to talk about a bit of the... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it dark design. Uh, okay. That's... Uh, you know, you can design... It's like the deep web? You can design a game... <laughs> Oh my god. To be fun and do a great job.
1: Mm, Okay. But you could
2: also design a game to make money and do a great job. Never mind. And uh, I just want to, you know, talk about shitty mobile games and (laughs) why I hate them. Um, So we're talking games like, uh, what did you say earlier? I I don't even remember. Xeno something Clash, Clash of the whatever. I feel like... But, uh, not Xeno Clash. That's something extremely oh, wait, different. Sorry, that's but, something very um, different.
1: Clash of Clans, Clash Royale. Clash of Clans. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Or um, Candy Crush or fucking... Any of these stupid mobile games where it's basically just... The developers have done an amazing job of really tuning a difficulty curve uh, so that it's just a bit too difficult. And you need to conveniently click this nice big button to spend money. It's like extracting
0: a tooth from your mouth, but instead it's money and time. Yeah. Out of your wallet and my I mean, the thing
2: is, like, I I don't really play these games because, you know, to me, they're just not fun. Um, But I I watch people play them. And I mostly just, it's, honestly, it feels heartbreaking because I'm like, they don't really seem like they're having fun. But, you know, the tight gameplay loop and, uh, you know, the, especially like some of them, they use the variable reward me- uh, variable reward mechanisms, especially if it's got fucking loot boxes. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just, I, I don't like it, okay? I don't like it. I've never liked it. I don't know why people keep throwing money at it. Is it just that people haven't, I mean, it, it seems like it's mostly older people. <laughs> at least that I know that end up throwing way too much money at these games,
1: uh, but yeah, it, I, I I I think I think the distinction is that these are because okay, so I think you real the distinction needs to be made between just casual games and these games with shitty predatory uh, practices on them. Yeah. I think that distinction is do they have a psychologist on staff? <laughs> because yeah. a lot of these mobile developers do (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: and they specifically optimize the game um, that's that's as as yeah like they'll go in and they'll they'll optimize the reward mechanisms you know based on like the underlying like psychological theory and stuff and it's fucked up honestly like it's not it's not right and like if you're if, if, if is the game fun isn't even a factor like in your development you're not making a game anymore. You're just making a Skinner box that extracts money from people. And it's it's not right, but I mean, what can you do? If people subject themselves to these things, like, it is what it is. But yeah, I mean, pretty much any of those. Every time I open up my app store, it's just filled with them these days. There's so many. Yep. The funny thing is, like, it's so easy to tell, too. Like, they all seem to fall into <laughs> very similar... I swear, it's like, you know. did you guys all hire the same artist, or, or what?
1: It's always this, like, car- cartoonish character looking to the left. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my god, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah,
2: but uh, I don't like it, it's not going to be reviewed on our podcast, but I will complain about it this one time.
1: No, see, where it gets crazy is when it, like, gets inception. Because one of the gotcha games that I played I added a Candy Crush mini game.
2: Oh my god! Really? Wow!
1: Well, the Candy Crush mini game though, it doesn't. There's literally nothing you could do to pay to influence it at all. It's just a fun puzzle mode that they added. And that's <laughs> a, and that's the thing that I really wanted to make that distinction is that like you know the casual game market like you know stuff like Bejeweled, stuff like Columns and, and, and stuff like that like those are fun little time wasters. Like I've had a fair amount. of i spent a fair amount of time just playing, ca- like, you know, casual games. Like, Solitaire, or Free Solo, yeah, Majora, Maj- 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 and, and stuff and like think, that. And, like, I will not consider that necessary. I've had fun with those, even if it's just very light, time-wasty activity to do while I'm doing something else. Yeah.
2: And I think, like, I want to be clear, like, I'm not saying... Because I think uh, Bejeweled in particular, the... I don't know if newer ones, how they are, but I know the older Bejeweled games, um, they were up front, okay? They were like, you purchase this game... Right, it's like twenty. It's like ten to twenty bucks, especially like when they were back on PC. Uh, and you know, bejeweled as a game, you buy it once, and then you just have like you know a few hundred puzzles or whatever to go through, and that's fine. And then there's an endless mode and stuff like that too, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I don't really play those, but whatever, right? But when you take that and you attach it. To this, like psychologically optimized fucking skitter box that tries to charge you, like that tries to get you to spend like a few bucks every single time you play the game. Like that is, I it's fucking skeevy, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like yeah. Of all the things that we've talked about today, like yeah, you know some our, some of our favorite franchises die and stuff like that. Like this is the real problem. Yeah, <laughs> is you know just. People like something that legitimately get angry about is you know game developers uh, having predatory practices towards this kind of stuff because it's yeah. it's so simple for somebody to input their credit card information and just like hit guess on on these things yeah. without really keeping track of how much money they're spending. Like it's not like a, like an arcade, you know how many quarters you're putting yeah, into and, that thing,
2: and even and even real like you know quote unquote. Real or like serious games, like you know, EA with loot boxes. Now they're trying to add these sorts of mechanics into like you know multiplayer, like shooters or yeah. Rocket League has loot boxes. I play. I've played a lot of that game. <laughs> Fucking loot boxes are just as bad. Uh, except they're even more acceptable in uh, more uh, full games right? A game you've paid full price for, and now they're Thanks, adding...
1: Overwatch. Thanks, Overwatch. Thanks, <laughs> Overwatch. <laughs> yeah, so...
2: So, yeah, I mean, I, I... I don't like it, but, I mean, as a... All, all I can do, ultimately, is to just not buy those games, and not and not purchase those items, so... Yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, you know what? The only other thing I'll say about it that pisses me off, is that, uh, so... We used to have a bar near us, and... Oh, yes, EXP bar. Yeah, EXP bar. Um, It was modeled after other bars in other countries, and they tried to open it up locally, and the concept was very simple. You were going to go out for drinks and food, and while you were waiting, you could have a console at your table, and you could play on a projector on the wall. Very simple concept, right? Anyway, the government like shut them down because essentially they the people didn't understand that video games are not gambling and they thought that it was like an unlicensed they thought that they were trying to open like an unlicensed casino.
1: Yeah, cuz you know, the term gaming for government officials does not mean video gaming. It means gambling. <laughs> yeah, it means gambling. And I mean, it does
2: kind of frustrate me that I mean it really frustrates me that like you're not allowed to just have a straightforward like you know if you want to open an arcade uh, effectively where you know you can also be served alcohol pretty much not allowed it's ridiculous and then now you know gay the actual game developers like they're really blurring the lines between gambling and actual video games and it's yeah. I mean it's
1: uh, it's annoying and yeah. then also it Lawmakers are starting to get involved, like yeah. the Battlefront Two, you know, prompted the Belgian government to step in and say, "Like, hey guys." <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, yep.
2: it's gotten pretty bad in some games. Uh, so,
0: so for all you viewers out there, we hope that uh, you, we hope that uh, these games do not have a hook on you in a in a way that negatively impacts your life. We hope that the games that you're playing are fulfilling and enjoying and, and joyful, and do not uh, meet the uh, The definitions of the games that drive you nuts uh, or steal your money, yeah, (laughs) and time.
1: Speaking of awful ways to sell a game, I'm gonna go with my my final game on my list here, and this is the game that it's the worst game I've ever played a a significant amount of time in. Like in the same way of like it's the worst game that I've played that brought itself up to a certain standard. Where I'm sure I've played some garbage bootleg ass thing that I got in a 100. You know, you know NES ROMs pack. I mean, That's probably worse than this game. Okay, this I'm game gonna, is at least functional. Random side note,
2: I am a little sad that I never got one of those weird Pokemon bootlegs. Aww. <laughs> uh, because that would have been hilarious as a child.
1: Yeah, but um, this is a game that comes in a series that is very near and dear to my heart that uh, unfortunately is dead. Uh, they're still putting out games for it. They're still putting characters in Smash for it. Ooh. But Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem. Oh. Okay, Fire Emblem Fates. Let's talk about it. Now, I think that the series died with Awakening. But I still think Awakening is a functional game that I and a fine game that I didn't like. Fire Emblem Fates is a piece of garbage. And I'm, oh, I'm so mad. Okay, l- let's start with how they sold the game. Now, the game has two versions. They pulled, the, they pulled a Pokemon with this shit, where there's, except worse, there was uh, <laughs> Birthright and Conquest, and the basic premise of the game is that you're in the royal family of this one nation, but you were raised in this other nation uh, through fuckery, and at some point you must choose between, like, which of these nations are you gonna, like, swear your loyalty to, where you were born or where you were raised interesting concept like nature versus nurture kind of shit almost like that's a that's actually that's a very good way thing to build a game around but with this game they decide okay when you buy the game you're gonna buy one version of it if you want the other version of it you gotta spend another 20 bucks oh my god and after like you know a certain like six or seven chapters that's when the divergence happens and then from there there are completely different storylines so that also always like, eh, okay, this feels like you're maybe overcharging a bit to, for this. Like, I think I thought both of those routes should have been in just one package, but hey, whatever. Then they said that they were going to release another route called Revelations. Now, as you can imagine, with the name Revelations, all of the juicy plot stuff is in that route. <laughs> and they released that after the fact. And you wow. need to have, you know, played through the game to fucking play it. And so, like, even, like, their initial offering, like, playing through both of those. I played Fates and Conquest to completion, and most of the way through Revelations. Again, I have a problem playing games I hate, uh, where there's a lot of questions in those first two routes that are just not answered, that they answer in Revelations. So they're basically selling you the true ending, almost. Oh. So that, on its own, is just a really shitty way to do something, like the game that you sell should be a, you know, complete package when you sell it. Like, a lot of games that have story DLC, the story is a side story. It doesn't have, it has maybe references, maybe explains, like, a little bit of what happened, but it doesn't, like, <laughs> it doesn't do, it doesn't say everything unanswered about the game and c- tell you what the motivations of the car- of the main villains are in both of the games because the game's on the mo- themselves don't tell you right (laughs) you need to play this fucking shit so that's already bad but then we get into like the actual game and let's let's start with the characters so a lot of the fire emblem games have pretty shallow characters on first glance because you don't really get a lot of conversation between a lot of the characters in your party uh outside of your main characters those come in support conversations, uh, and a lot of the characters in older Fire Emblem games actually have are pretty good characters. They have clear motivations to what they're doing. They have fun relationships between, with other characters, and they're built in a way that the conversations like they feel natural. And yeah, it's it's good stuff. Um, with the with the start with Awakening, they decided to implement the marriage mechanic. This has completely destroyed all the characters in the game because they they decide to make it where each character has three levels of conversation you could have with any of the other characters that they can talk to, as well as one level where they get married and they have a kid. So that doesn't lock them out of still getting to like A-rank support with everybody else instead of S-rank, which is when you get the kid. So all the conversations up until that point don't really... Lead themselves naturally into, I love you. Let's get married and have a child. So all those like S rank support conversations feel like they come out of c- completely nowhere. Oh no! And yeah. and because they made it so that like you know the uh, the characters that are marked like okay this character can have a child, they can pretty much have a support conversation with everybody of the opposite sex, even characters that they in theory should fucking hate should not get along with at all, can still get to that marriage point. (laughs) Um, All the characters are completely one-note trope characters. They have one trope to their personality, and that's it. There is nothing interesting about them. And most characters don't have any kind of backstory or motivation that's propelling them forward. In Awakening, this was bad, but it wasn't the worst. There were a few characters in that game that I liked. In Fate's It's abysmal because most of the characters that you have in the game are either members of these royal families or retainers to the members of these royal families. So all the retainers' personalities, is just, hey, isn't this person that I'm serving awesome? That's pretty much it. So all of the characters are complete garbage, including the protagonist. Uh, Birthright has maybe the second worst protagonist I've ever seen in a game because they are useless. (sighs) Like, the useless idealist is my second least favorite uh, character trope. To where it's just like, oh, friendship, everybody. And they're the leader for no real discernible reason. They don't do anything strategically in the game that makes it so that their path through, you know, beating this other army and eventually toppling a kingdom. Nothing makes sense. Right. And this is especially bad because there's, like, there's moments where like you know characters like die for you know the main character so that they can keep going as like well the main character hasn't done anything really <laughs> to like they didn't do anything to stop this and they haven't done anything that makes them worthy in my opinion of being the leader so these like dramatic moments just are like well this really just didn't have to happen this is just like killing off a character for drama's sake this doesn't like, completely tasteless, And so, the character is terrible. And that alone, like, if the gameplay was good, I'd let that slide. But the gameplay is not good. So, here's a weird one. Weapon durability. Would you guys say that this is a positive for a game to have, or a negative?
2: I think it depends on the game, but in Fire Emblem, I liked it. Mostly because in Fire Emblem, you have the different weapon... Like, the different weapon strengths, like, I felt like it added something, because I was making decisions, like, oh, do I use this, like, legendary lance or whatever, Because but I can only use it
0: a few times, right? Yeah. So. <sighs>
2: so I'd, I, I'd try to save it for, like, a strong boss or something.
0: I'm not into it, but, yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: most people are on Sean's side. A lot of people don't like weapon durability. For example, Breath of the Wild, that was the main complaint about that game, is that it had weapon durability. This is a mechanic that people generally dislike about a game. But I am 100% with you, Alex. I, I thought in Fire Emblem. I
2: think I dislike it as usually applied. Yes. Okay? I think Fire Emblem is one of the few games that does weapon durability in a way where it adds something to the game. And that is mostly because Fire Emblem actually has like unique weapons that are still given durability. Yeah. Um, Or hard-to-get weapons as well, right? Yeah, like the higher
1: higher tiers of stuff. Like, you know, an Iron Lance has 45 attacks, but a Silver Lance or a Killer Lance only has 20. And those are way better than the Iron Lance. Yeah,
2: and so you actually, like, I find in Fire Emblem, I actually make decisions about, uh, like, I'll give my... Uh, like if I have a Myrmidon, I'll I'll hundred percent I'll give my Myrmidon, uh, Myrmidon a regular sword too, because sometimes I don't want to waste a killing edge on some low level enemy.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. In in Fire Emblem, weapon durability adds some depth to the game. It is a good addition. Fire Emblem Fates gets rid of weapon durability for the most part. The only thing that has durability now are uh healing staves. Uh, because they probably couldn't balance that and have some of the more crazy staffs that do status effects. What this ends up happening, though, is like like I said earlier, Iron Lance has 45 attacks, uh, Silver Lance has 20. That is a balancing feature in the other games. So to balance the, that out in uh, Fates, they made it so that the higher, the more powerful weapons have drawbacks, because you can use them infinite times. Like, if you use a silver weapon, your attack stat and your accuracy will uh, continuously get penalized uh, for, for a turn or whatever. And so it made it so that these more powerful weapons didn't feel more powerful. I was using regular-ass weapons most of the time through that game. It, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel like I had a good progression of my characters getting more powerful and my equipment matching that. It was, I don't want to use this... Weapon because I, it's going to have drawbacks, and even if it's right to use those weapons, still like psychologically, that is I think bad design. Where you know you don't want to, you don't want your most powerful stuff to be detrimental to you in that way. It, right. If that was not good, the stats. So the stats have been inflated to the extreme, and it's. In Fire Emblem, this is extremely important because the formulas in Fire Emblem work off of a uh, subtraction basis. They're not, not multiplicative, uh, which a lot of things use. So, you know, your attack stat plus your weapon's attack stat minus your opponent's defense stat is how much damage you're doing. And, like, that's fucking the end of it, basically. So when you inflate the stats that much and drive them to the extremes... That means that characters that have extremely high like attack stats, and characters that have extremely low defensive stats, that gap widens in such a way that a lot of your char- your squishier characters, uh, can get one shot. And in older games, this like rarely happened. Only a few enemies could you know kill your squishier units. You generally were able to play in a way that you could risk your uh, more fragile units a lot more. It, uh, it opened up a lot of different play opportunities. Uh, so in Fates, you know, your characters are generally squishier, and the formulas also changed in a way that they made it so that your uh, your evasion and your skill mattered less to the formula. Your your weapons accuracy matters more now. So that penalized uh, speedier characters to where if you take the exact same stats between two of the games and plug them in, in older Fire Emblem games, you might get a 5% chance to hit a speedy Myrmidon with an axe. But in Fates, you'd have like a 35% chance to hit. Oh, and in Fates, this one will one-shot them instead of two-shotting them. So, a lot of characters became nigh-useless in Fates, where they were viable units along with the rest of your army, because pretty much your entire army was viable in these older games. Uh. As well, um... Because of the static extremeness, uh, the way the maps were designed were designed usually as either single choke point that you just held for a while, or you just, like, inched your way forward and aggro people a little bit at a time. So, with the choke point stuff, you basically just, like, sat your highest defense unit in front and just waited. It wasn't engaging at all. Mm. Um, and with these maps, one of the things that I brought up that I, why I was talking about Fire Emblem Seven that I love so much was macro, micro objectives. This game ha- does not have that. Where you're under no time pressure in any of these maps. So when I talked about you know just inching forward, slowly aggroing units out your way and defeating them, like that was the optimal way to play that game. You never really took risks, so you never had engaging tactical decisions to make.
2: Yeah, and I think I even. I seem to remember that there's maybe some of the Fire Emblem games where if you took too long, the enemy would even start sending some of the units down after you, even if you hadn't aggroed them. Yeah, uh, some,
1: in some games that happens, In this one it doesn't. Yeah,
2: which, again, you know, that adds... Because, I mean, and and realistically, I mean, there's a lot of strategy games where, like, it does feel a bit silly. Like, there's this huge enemy army, and they're just... Allowing themselves to be taken out one unit at a time. It's ridiculous, right? So adding a little bit of that uh, pressure to kill them more quickly, lest the rest of
0: the army come to their aid. It makes sense, right? maybe they want to be taken out one at a time maybe they want to be whined and dined so that you can have an s rank relationship with them
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean and
2: this is a this is a
1: wafer simulator yes that's what this game ended up being there's weird petting shit in the Japanese version it's all over the place um,
0: people petting
1: yes <laughs> yes okay yeah and the um, the parent-child thing where you know characters have children, and they're placed in this weird other realm where time works differently so that you can still have them in your army fighting with you. There's no time skip. Uh, This this feature originally was taken from Fire Emblem 4, which had parent-child stuff, but in that game there was a time skip. So that made way more sense. (laughs) Yeah, so you were fighting only with the, like,
2: you know... Uh, the next generation and old, many years later, yeah,
1: and older versions of your uh, regular oh, okay. characters and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. It made a lot more sense, but and in this game, they they ran into a problem uh, that normally I have sympathy for, but I hate this game so much that I'm going to take them to task for it. Where all because each child has one defined parent that they will come from, and then the uh, partner can be anybody. So the uh, sport conversations between the child and the, like, rotate, rotational partner, basically, are pretty much copy-pasted. Uh. They're the same no matter who it is. So, again, that makes it so that these characters are poorly written because none of their personality shines through in these conversations. They're copy-pasted. Yeah. And, yes, you would have to write a ton more dialogue to have these conversations be more unique between these parents and child characters. But they didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, at
2: some point, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it worth putting all this content in if we're just copy and pasting it?
1: No. No, it is not. Yeah. And
2: I'm pretty much always going to go with no.
1: Yeah. In the uh, older games, there were some paired endings, but there were only a few. So they, again, they felt more natural between the characters that could have them. And they made it so that, you know, you could have a support conversation between two characters of different sex, and it you know, not just be some, like, back-and-forth lead-up into Marry Me! Right. Like, yeah. there's so much variation in these other games. And, let's see. Oh, the uh, the maps. Okay, the maps are all gimmicks, pretty much, based around the royal family members. Because there's these spots on the maps that alter the terrain in gimmicky-ass ways, but only the royal family members can use them. So, it makes it so that you basically are forced to use uh a lot of these characters that maybe you don't want to use maybe you don't want to use some characters because they have shit personalities or you don't like their unit class but because of this you're going to have like a super tedious time getting through some of these levels because you need to use these royal family members as well that makes us that some characters that share a you know class type with these royals are literally second class citizens because they Literally. because they cannot be used for these tactical options and they also have worse stats in a lot of cases and less access to a couple unique weapons. So there is a big character imbalance there as well where in other fire emblem games most of the characters are viable. Right. And and are viable like, you know, comparatively with everything else. Nothing is like, oh, you need to use this unit. I will point one positive about this game out though is that they do have one map Unfortunately, it's in Revelations. Of course, it is. That does have a really awesome gimmick, to where you have this upper, it it, it like it weirdly really harkens back to old Fire Emblem because there's a time limit on the map, and there's a bunch of like optional shit you can do, where there is this top section where your army is, and if you activate this uh, panel, you will get a copy of all of those units on this lower section. And on this lower section are a bunch of enemies that have uh, droppable items. Now, your character's stats, your character, the copies are the exact same between them. And they're linked. So that when one loses HP, the other one loses HP. Oh. So this is actually a really awesome gimmick for the That's maps.
2: That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so that level is actually really, really awesome. To uh, where, you know, you can complete the top section fairly normally if you just, you know, push forward, get to the end, and go on your merry way. But if you choose to do this other path as well, you need to push forward on the top to get to the end before you lose. And you need to be pushing forward enough on the bottom to actually get to these characters that have these weapons that they can drop and stat boosters that they can drop. All while having to manage the fact that, okay, you know, this this you know meat shield that I've been using, yeah, they can take four attacks up here. Can they take four attacks up here and four attacks down there too? So that was a really awesome map that is unfortunately mired in a shit-ass game. Huh.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a really cool idea for a Fire Emblem mission. Yeah. yeah
1: it's too bad. <laughs> yeah. And let's see. The last thing I'll talk about for this bad, bad game is the uh, parrot mechanic. Now, the parrot mechanic existed in Awakening... And pairing up two units got, gave them really big stat boosts. And remember what I said about uh, how this game was uh, subtractive. That means that if you have a, you know, big defense boost, uh, that might turn an attack that deals 8 damage to you into an attack that only deals 2 damage to you and stuff like that. So you, a lot of the time you could just end up with these big balls of stats that could trample through the, the fight but that this also made it so that you had limited units to work with. But if there's no time limits or objectives and no reason to split up your party, then there's no downside to this. So that's the main thing that I actually didn't like about Awakening. But they messed up even further in Fates, where they made this pretty much mandatory. Because if you had characters next to each other, they would trigger up a follow-up attack that would deal up, deal an extra half damage if it hit. So and the only way to prevent this is to pair up your units. So there's a lot of cases where you're, you know, you're forced to pair up these units. And one of the things I loved about Fire Emblem that I talked about in a previous podcast is that it's a strategy game that you have a lot of units under your control. That gives you a lot of tactical options. When you're forced to have basically half your army size uh, to you know go through these maps sometimes... It limits your options and just makes it less fun, less engaging, less varied, less everything. This game is less than the sum of its parts, and the sum (laughs) of its parts is pretty damn low to begin with. I fucking hate this game, and uh, I'm so pissed. You hate it with a passion. You're able to talk about a passion. Again, uh, there are a few games that I legitimately, like, angrily hate. Like, there's a lot of games I dislike, and that's fine, they're not great games, Whatever. This is a game that I fucking hate. And that's why we talk about it on the Angry Sun Zone. Yes. Yeah. My voice is getting hoarse now for how much I hate this game. It's it's damaging me even still. <laughs> oh, man. All right.
2: Well, I've got one more I want to talk about. And it's not really one game exactly. Uh, in fact, it might be a whole genre. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and that's uh, Dota league of legends oh come on uh, mostly (laughs) mostly i mean i'm gonna be honest are the games that bad actually i shouldn't really talk about mobas in general because i haven't really played that many other ones (laughs) um but dota and league of legends i mean the games themselves they're all right i guess i mean i have had some fun with dota when we used to play it uh ourselves between some friends um And that's about the only way I can actually recommend ever playing these games, to be honest. Because they are toxic. And they are filled with toxic people online. And, uh, yeah. Really detracts a lot from the experience. There's not many games that I would dislike because of the actions of the community. But if there is any, it's games like Dota and League of Legends. Um, Okay. Unfortunately, I will agree with you there. (laughs) Yeah. And, um... Just, and, and given how long it takes to play a round, you know, you're looking at an hour, maybe more. But I think
1: probably around an hour most of the time. Usually a, usually it's like a half hour um, with games that can stretch a long time. Um, yeah,
0: but... An unknown amount of time. Yes. Stretching over an hour.
1: Uh, but, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, but, I mean, also in general, I don't know. I think the thing is, you know, it came out of a Warcraft 3 uh, custom map mod, whatever you want to call it, kind of thing, right? And in that context, I like it a lot more, right? Because it's it's like a side thing and it's not something that is... Because uh, it feels... I don't know. I think I just don't like the genre in general. That might be part of my problem. Um, and
0: <laughs> You know Dota what?
1: Dota is the most in-depth team... Based game that's ever existed. Is it? Yes. There are over a hundred playable characters. There are over a hundred different items you can buy from the from the in-game shop. The amount of combinations of things you can do, plays you can make, team compositions that you can have, ways to to man- maneuver out around this reasonably complicated map, yes, I do think it's the deepest team game base game that has ever been. That's why the when the games go long and you lose, it's uh, fucking devastating because there's so much investment required to understand everything that's going on in that game and to perform it even, like, subcompetently. that, yeah, that's the reason why the community is so toxic is, like, the, there's so much investment in it and if you are perceived as ruining their experience, they're going to fucking lynch you.
2: Yeah... Yeah, and then, and you know what, maybe that's part of why I never liked them, is because yeah. honestly, I didn't, I've never actually spent that much time playing
1: it, because... They're impenetrable. I yeah. fully understand that. Yeah.
0: Like... You know what? And I think that that's, you know... Maybe I need to play the Pokemon. <laughs> there you go. Pokemon Unite, let's go. There's no... There's, there's almost... The, you can't shit talk your, your uh, teammates in that game. It's fine. <laughs> there's a valid point in that in that some games themselves have traits that lend to a toxic community or at least a community that is adverse to newer players yeah
2: yeah i mean any 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 online competitive community tends towards like being insular over time just because like the investment required from new players gets higher the longer the game's around um but yeah, it seemed really bad with uh, those moments. Yeah. And uh, the uh, the other thing <laughs> we were talking earlier, you know, RTS games. What happened? Obviously, EA, Kima- EA-, EA killed Command and Conquer. There is a Homeworld three coming out soon. Although I'm I'm gonna fully admit, though I love Homeworld, it's never been a, it's never been like super popular.
1: Yeah. Um, Age of Empires took like a 15 year
0: break or whatever that ended up <laughs> being. Yeah. By the but, way, I've heard that the latest expansion. For Age of Empires 2. Yeah. Is sorry, really what? fun. Yeah, they've kept developing new ones. Yes. Yeah, and so the latest one has an entire two separate campaigns made only with the old school level editor that have had like stellar reviews from people who have uh, tried it. They're like, these campaigns do I'm something sorry, that have never been released? seen before. Uh, like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. What? Yeah. Age of Empires
1: 2 is the biggest it's ever been. Yeah. I had no idea. In terms of the competitive scene, and well, like, in the in the ramp up to, for like, when Age of Empires 4 started development, they did Definitive ed- Editions of uh, the first did, game uh, and the second yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, re- and, they
2: remastered it, right?
1: Well, they did an HD remaster, and then they also put out the Definitive Edition, which had more oh. stuff, and they've continued to support it since. Okay. With yeah. paid expansions. I know I
2: saw that. I just, I. Didn't... Yeah. I didn't realize they were adding new content as well.
1: They had the Bohemians and the Poles.
2: Yeah. Oh. That doesn't sound offensive at all.
0: What, Polish people? The Poles? I, I, don't, I know. don't know. <laughs> and anyway. You know what? Yeah. It's it's interesting how some of the... And, and you know what? Age of Empires does not come across to me as a game with a super toxic community.
1: By all accounts, the Age of Empires 2 community has been fairly welcoming.
0: Um, yeah. Which is cool to see.
1: There's, yeah. I think there's... But, like, um, at, at, so, at some point, the game lasted long enough that it's just, like, <laughs> but yeah, weird. Yeah. But, yeah.
2: You know, what happened to the heyday of uh, RTS games? You know, more more of them than you could shake a stick at. Where, like, Star Trek is even, like, getting its own RTS series, you know, for some reason. Like, what happened to that? Maybe, Mobas. Maybe Mobas happened. Yep. And if Mobas are the reason that RTS games died, I have no recourse but to hate them.
1: (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Like, yeah. As somebody who enjoys
0: MOBAs, I fully understand the criticism that they get. The sun is out, and the talk about MOBAs is blistering. How about you, Sean? You got any more? Well, let me conjure the list once more. You know what? I don't know what because you're not talking. Okay, this last one. I was debating whether to even put this on the list because, cause, cause, uh, you know what? This particular genre, I have a love-hate relationship with and you're going to laugh because a whole bunch of the games that I... Uh, list that I love are also in this list. And that is fucking roguelikes.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean... It's yeah.
0: It's
2: kind of like... It's kind of their whole shtick, really, is to...
0: I remember one of the earliest roguelikes that I've played is definitely ToeJam & Earl. Uh, I would consider that a roguelike very strongly. Um, I didn't know what I was doing uh, for the longest time when I played that game. Um, And I only came back to it pretty recently, looking at it finally through the mature eyes of an adult human being who now sees us as a roguelike. Um, I've played games like Powder... Uh, powder is very interesting. Uh, you can play it on the Game Boy. Um, the Game Boy DS. They actually have a port for it. Uh, which is interesting. Game Boy DS. Sorry.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Nintendo Game DS. Boy DS. You know what?
0: That's cursed. <laughs> I've officially... Yeah, no. That sounds cursed. <laughs> That's cursed. Uh, like, okay. like, did someone okay, just take okay, two okay. Game
2: Boys... Fucking,
0: cut them in half, strap
2: them together, solder some wires up, somehow it worked.
1: Uh, My my favorite portable console, the Vita Station.
0: The Vita Station, (laughs) yes. Um, So, so my issue with, uh, (laughs) with roguelikes is, you know what? The the mechanisms within a roguelike is like the slightly cleaner version of those gotcha games. Is, if you, if you find it difficult to put down a game before you've been able to beat it, or at least ha- get the upper hand on it, uh, or if you have an addictive personality, you should be warned that a good roguelike, the better the roguelike is, the more it will fucking steal your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of this is because roguelikes inherently you know, are, are very luck-based, um, and this luck... Uh, is something that you have to actively counter with skill, um, and there are will be no-win scenarios. You actually have to come to terms with no-win scenarios. And the thing about rogues-like is, is you also have to be able to know when to put them down. Because there are an infinite number of different attempts for you to take. Um, and, uh, and an infinite number of, of painful lessons that you can learn. Um, and What's interesting that I would find is that as much as I enjoy, you know, a game like, say, Noita, for example, which I still play pretty (laughs) much almost every day that I can. Um, Well, let's be honest, I almost play it every day. Um, What usually brings me to my own doom is not some uber-powerful enemy... Uh, you know, or a boss. <laughs> it is. It's complacency! It's, it's hubris. It's, it is fucking hubris. Actually, yeah, it's total hubris. And it is my own hubris. And it is my own petard on which I hoist myself and make stupid decisions that bring myself down. And, you know what's interesting is you'll see that same hubris, uh, smack into people at the same time that they make other terrible decisions that lead to their untimely doom. Car accidents, you know? Um, Let's well, took a turn. Okay. So, don't play roguelikes if you're if you're driving. To drive. <laughs> now that is that is the, that is the peak hubris right there. No, but in a more serious note, like or, well, to get yeah, back man, on topic of Have of, you ever
2: thought, what if life's just a roguelike? <laughs> uh, hey,
1: every I hate The most challenging
0: I- roguelike of all has you pitted against the very forces of nature. Nature itself rises against you to create deadly viruses, wildfires, rising temperatures, heat domes, and it is hell-bent... On killing the population, and you have to navigate this all the while that people around you are just going absolutely bonkers, and they're affected by some Cthulhu-like entity, which is causing them to lose their shit over the most basic of stuff and devolve into warring factions. Yeah,
1: if this is if
0: this is how Mother Nature's acting, I want emancipation. Hmm. And let me tell you the name of this game. This game, you can find it on the outside subreddit. It's the game of life The game of life Be warned This game is highly addictive And once you start playing it You can't put it down And if you decide to put it down You'll never pick it up again What happens when that car turns over And all the pegs fall out
1: (laughs) (sighs) What happens when you have Having so many children That you don't have enough pegs in the car for them Oh my god (laughs) Oh my god! I, I, Overpopulation. I the game of life was... is deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you
2: know what? I, I think that's just a criticism on affordability. You know, gotta buy a second car, but there's no cars because you can't
0: afford it. That's 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 one know. thing I'll say. Is so um, it's it's interesting that as life goes on, um, one of the nuances that I've noticed life is... life goes on, but your video game doesn't. <laughs> you <laughs> even the most complex. You know, video games, they have these systems and mechanics within them that once you get to understand them, you know, you, you're, and you gain mastery over them, you you evolve as a player. And this is the parallel with, with real life. So the meta here is, you know, when you're facing all these real world scenarios uh, and they seem almost impossible, they seem highly frustrating... Think about the systems behind them. Think about what you can see and understand and what you can glean about the rules and the mechanics of them. And uh, think about who you are as a, as a player of this real-life game. Are you a person who will uh, go ahead and abuse the crap out of these mechanics for your own benefit? Do you try and play the game fairly? <laughs> Do you just uh, try to survive and, and not get carried away? These are very interesting questions. Angry Sun Zone. More like Angry Wisdom Zone. Yeah. Stay tuned for our upcoming Philosophy Podcast. The Philosophy Podcast. Yeah. So let me leave you that thought. Whether you're playing a roguelike or a MOBA or an RTS or a shooter, remember that life is just a game. And keep playing. Sure. Okay. Uh
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. thank, thanks for the graduation speech sean uh <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to get into contact with us uh you can do so on angry at outlook.com please if you think that we're completely off base with these games we've talked about send in your thoughts or if there's other games that you hate that you maybe want to hear our takes on uh send us a line and you could be included in the podcast
2: yeah, and uh, if you're itching for uh, something to look at while you listen to our voices, uh, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we have a few videos on there. And more to come. Yeah, we'll be putting more up. Eventually. If you, if, you have, if you have videos you'd like to see, you know, let us know.
1: Yeah. Uh, you can also uh, DM us on Twitter. Uh, those are open if you'd prefer to do that. Now, now that we're all out of rage, it's time for us to be put in a cage.
2: Because all the world's a stage! Aha!